0: With Say six, six five, five, four,
1: three, two, one. Hello, listeners. You have found your way to Rank and Review episode eighty-seven, Rank and Review versus Star Trek, Volume Two. What would God want with a podcast? Our guest this episode is Paxton Francis and Jaron Francis, two of the biggest Trekkies that I know. And as mentioned, this is part two, so if you have not listened to part one, episode 86, you should probably do that first. And if you do do that, you'll notice that uh, I call these guys nerds a lot. I'm hurt to exclaim the word NERDS several times during the episode, and I just want to make it clear when I say that, what I really mean is I love you. As usual, this episode of Rankin Review is going to have course language and spoilers, and as usual, you can send me feedback at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R A N K N R E V I E W at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, you can find it on Facebook, and if you leave reviews for me there or notices for me there, I will personally read them and see them, so it's really fulfilling for me. I am, as always, your host and of Canadian, Larry Parsons, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's boldly go where many podcasts I'm sure have gone before.
2: Edge of destruction. We cannot survive unless a way can be found to respond to the probe. The key to saving the future, Spark, you're talking about the end of every life on Earth, can be found only in the past. We're going to attempt time travel. Sulu, take us home. These are the voyages of the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere. I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. Stardate, 1986, San Francisco. Our own world is waiting for us to save it. They have 24 hours. Everybody remember where we parked. Break up. To complete their mission. It look
3: like a cadet review. People beam into night, collect the photons, and beam
2: out. I want you all to be very careful without being discovered. We have an intruder.
4: All right, who are you?
2: You're not exactly catching us at our best. That much is certain. This is an extremely primitive and paranoid culture. What does it mean, exact change? Many of their customs will doubtless take us by surprise. We're ready for beam-out. My transporter power is down to minimal. i got to bring you in one at a time. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Let's do our job and get out of here. Freeze! Take off, can you hear me? Freeze!
1: So Star Trek for The Voyage Home, or as I like to call it, Hump Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> here's, we talk about sort of the cheesy origins of the Star Trek TV show. I think of I think all six of these movies I will argue that this has the most out there <laughs> premise that it hang on but considering we have things like the troubles with tribbles and there's an episode I believe where Kirk and Abraham Lincoln team up to fight an alien Yes. am there's a
3: lava monster and uh, yeah that's that's some terrible season 3 set on the show. planet Excalpia In
1: earnest, Star Trek fans, is there anything too stupid for Star Trek?
3: Is there anything that
1: they can do as a premise in Star Trek that you would think they've officially jumped the shark that's too far?
4: Well, if they'd let Gene Roddenberry have everything (laughs) he wanted, Punch out Jesus on the bridge.
1: We go back to the more familiar Star Trek elements of a superpower appears from deep space Mm -hmm. seeming to want something. And it's very destructive and powerful and heretofore never heard of. So, uh, sounds like we're going back to number one, which right away seems like a step backwards. As you'll recall, I was less than positive on the first movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
3: but the and you were less than positive going into watching Star Trek IV. <laughs> we should say we should. Th- unlike most rank and review episodes, we screened all six of these movies together, together over yeah. the course of months. Yeah.
1: Well, and, like, I will admit, my memory of the movie was worse than the movie itself ended up being. Or, or like, it had been so long since I'd seen it. My memory was that it was much goofier than it, than it ended up being when I watched mm-hmm. it. But, yeah, it, the fact that they go back to the premise, basically, of the first movie, and then they hit us with the time travel, and then we're going to deal with our Star Trek crew in a modern context, in quotation, of 1980, this would be 86? 86, 86, yeah. Yes, so... Um, very tonally different mm-hmm. very 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 tonally different but i thought going into it that i would come out here saying that it was too tonally different and that it was like you know coming off the backs of two super solid star treks that ouch and i have to say when we rewatched this movie i liked it way more than i expected mm. but what i'm not gonna do is sit here and oversell Star Trek IV (laughs) no no
3: no way no way I mean it does have one foot planted in the that era of movies that made Croc Dundee the other huge hit of that summer right the movies formula the movies were playing at exactly the same time they were both like you know uh, oddball or what's it called a comedy where somebody's in a situation fish out of water fish out of water comedies set in Manhattan like they had shared some similarities and they were playing at exactly the same time oh I like somebody in a a studio somewhere said like let's do Star Trek meets (laughs) Back to
1: the Future meets Crocodile Dundee exactly it seems very calculated but it's
3: they couldn't have had that idea because Crocodile Dundee was in production production at the same time but it's interesting the way that happens in movies where things line up and you get two similar titles right at the same time doing the same thing but here's where your uh, uh, different level of familiarity with the original series shows its colors because uh, it's tonally not very different at all from the original series because at several times a season they went back in time to an earth like they either found an earth-like planet or went back in time to a different time in Earth's past uh, Star Trek had already done the uh, let's go back to Earth's past many times at this point and it feels to me almost like as they're looking through the old series Harv Bennett is going "Ah, Balance of Terror, Star Trek 2, Navy Battle yeah. uh, Rootin' Tootin' Western uh, the Battle at the O.K. Corral, whatever that episode is called Specter of the Gun, let's make a Rootin' Tootin' Western, Star Trek 3 Number 4, uh, let's go back to uh, contemporary earth and make a sort of fun episode because there were oddball comedy episodes of Star Trek as well yeah. some of them ridiculously comical and right. so I it, mean, was, it was just another one of the flavors of the original series coming to the screen but if you're not super if you haven't watched much original series it's the only one of those six movies that reads that way
4: that's like bright and colorful and set this vivacious earth place. It also, oddly, is, I think, the one that is most out of place amongst the other films in terms of tone. Yeah. But the films were tonally quite a departure, in, in a way, from the overall feeling of the, sh- the series. Mm. And this felt kind of... I think the reason it was such a huge hit and was the one that was the most commonly thought of as the, the one everyone loved was because it was a bit of a return to how you felt watching the show yeah if, if you weren't if you were just a casual fan and just sort of like tuned in in syndication to watch every now and then this experience would feel like that more so than if you went to see Search for Spock and the Enterprise exploded and they're killing Kirk's son yeah and like nothing terrible like that ever happened in the show so this this was like a a purposeful maybe calculated on Hard Bennett's part or the filmmaker's part to be like let's We've done these dark stories. Let's go back to the way Star Trek could also be a frivolous, Let's colorful, fun. light, fun, right.
1: popcorn experience. Yeah. Um, I you know, and I don't. I think their instincts aren't incredibly wrong in that way. And like going into the Marvel universe, I was really found Ant Man refreshing because it wasn't a global catastrophe. Right. It was a fight over some new tech. Right. Yeah. I guess Star- That's not a great example because Star Trek, for the world, is at stake. Mm. But it never feels like it. The movie doesn't really feel like the world is at stake. There's yeah, until weird... the
3: end when they're rewarded uh, as you know, the saviors of human civilization, are you like, oh yeah, I guess the whole But they're just trying to heist survive. some whales through the whole movie. Yeah, there's a it.
4: lightness
1: to it. And what there's... do I got to do to get some whales over here? <laughs> there's a lightness to it, and I think that there has to be because of the premise. Like, again, we start saying stuff like a Klingon bird of prey stops a whaling vessel from hunting whales in this movie. That's a thing that happens in this movie. It does. Right? Like, and it's fucking uh, great. <laughs> it's great. It's great when it happens, but it's it's pretty, like,
3: we've come pretty far. Scotty right? yeah. talks into a keyboard mouse in this movie. That's right. Many funny things happen in this movie.
1: But what I'm really happy to report, and what I would not have anticipated on when we watched it, is that I've done a whole series of podcasts on the crazy 80s on how, like, that deck <laughs> is really like you can it's unmistakable when you're watching a deeply 80's movie like you're not going (laughs) to confuse it with anything else and it could have really easily taken over the movie there are a few moments yes where we can laugh at the hairstyles and the music it almost did you know, it almost, almost did. did but the tone of the movie stays Star Trek yeah. because I think that if this had been taken over by the 80s and become break into Electric Boogaloo yeah. the movie this tickles. could have really
3: created really easily it, really it easily. tickles right up against two silly yeah. uh, sequences like the zany breakout from the hospital right <laughs> doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney yeah uh, there you know Almost, uh, what's his name? The cops who don't the, know that the they're fast supposed to forward chases the chases around Benny Hill almost right. sort of chase through the hospital. But Star Trek, yeah, it's sillier than any of the other Star Trek. But it, it, I'm not sure I agree with you, Jaren, that it's tonally more different from the others. No, I, I think, think number what one I to say might was that stand out tonally. At maybe this that's point just the in the release
4: thing. schedule, when you hit eighty six and this comes out, I think people. Uh, the reason I think it was successful is because I think they recognized that people would have an appetite for this tone of film now mm-hmm. after 2 and 3. Right. That's all. Because this because this was present in the show. Say what you will, even if you sense. don't like it. They were not fucking repeating themselves here. No, they're <laughs> no they did the same thing that they had done each, with each movie, I think... They just decide, okay, well, let's not do what we've done before. Yeah. Let's do a different type of Star Trek movie. Let's take a different
3: flavor of episode because we are making and Star Trek after that. all yeah. and make a movie that sort of fits that flavor and they hadn't made a lighthearted romp.
1: Yeah, and if it had been another, you know, Wrath of Khan or Search for Spock, I just think it would be that much more diluted as yeah. much as Search for Spock was slightly diluted from see, Wrath and of and Khan. number
3: five if it hadn't had the budget gutted repeatedly, was the fourth flavor of episode that Harv Bennett chose, and with Shatner, which was, let's get philosophical, like Star Trek does sometimes when it's really good. Yeah. Well, and
1: there's not much philosophy to be found here. Um, (laughs) There's stuff that really make me smile. I've completely forgotten. somehow about Spock diving <laughs> into the wind melding with the the is pregnant which is another one of those things when you say it out loud it just sort of tips your hand as to how ludicrous this movie really is in its premise right Spock dives into a tank with a whale and mind-melds with it. it. <laughs> and, well, why it's, is that
3: ridiculous? When, when they go to an alien planet and meet alien life, I mean, he mind-melded with the Horta. He'll yeah. mind-meld with anything. And obviously man. these whales Sludge, are hyper mind-meld with it, right? Because mm-hmm. the
1: whole hinge of the, the plot, again, sort of silly, is that these whales were able to... Uh, communicate with this probe that was so far away it's taken this long for the probe to get there Mm -hmm. to find out why their buddies, the whales, have no longer been answering the calls. This is all just like what happened to my buddy.
3: (laughs) 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 I don't want to go on too much of a tangent with the male uh, or with the whale mind meld, right. but I wonder if a whale can give informed consent for a mind meld, yeah. right? Like <laughs> Spock does mind meld rape somebody later in the series, we can talk about that when we get there, and we see him in other places sort of ask or solicit permission before yeah. a mind meld, yeah. but you can't ask a whale for permission. I suppose you could just sort of tickle her mind and say, hey, do you mind if I read? And she's like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. And uh, give right mind But I don't know, Spock maybe kind of like date mind melt rapes that whale in the tank in San Francisco, that one night, that one summer.
1: Then The whole time that Spock's got the, the headband, which was, I guess, briefly fashionable in the 80s to cover his ears, off with his thick lazy <laughs> accent yeah. asking Wessels. where the nuclear vessels are in the middle of the Cold War, this is particularly weird, and the fact that this police officer still seems to be used
3: by this. <laughs> yeah. like. Now, Jiren, you said that some of those Passerby reactions were genuine, and I I think yeah. maybe some of them are. I don't think they all are. Are they? That well, cop the cop is, is an actor. Okay, okay. The cop
4: is because genuine. they film an actual scene with him, but they no, they set up the cameras and just had so the two of them of the people them stop people in the street, and then if but the he I think they're
3: across the bay in Alameda. Is that woman a paid actress no, or is she a passerby? No, they just
4: got her. Somebody they had somebody set up on the other side of the street who sign and anybody that forms, they gave the like. Basically, the cut print signed to for that right. chick. Then somebody would grab her and say, "Can we get you to sign some release forms? We're filming a, a movie over here." Um,
1: I think that better than the previous movies, they give more more of the crew stuff to do. Yeah, like they spread the goods around the the cast a lot. Sue
3: and Scotty get that really fun errand to go get the plexiglass slash transparent. Yeah, for the Change well the tank. course of human history with right. the check, right? Uhura <laughs> and Chekhov go and get the uh, photons from the enterprise's engines the like the aircraft carrier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sulu doesn't really
4: get to do a lot. Sulu flies a helicopter? Yeah, that's it.
3: He uh, I get the feeling though that not only did that Chopper pilot teach Sulu how to, Sulu how to fly a Huey, but I think George Takai took him to bed too. I think Sulu had plenty Sulu to do in that movie. Yeah. His story <laughs> cut he got because if Tekai's trailers are rocking, don't come a knocking without KY.
4: Sulu was supposed to meet his great grandfather or something, but the kid that they found to film the scene they couldn't get him to calm down enough. He kept right. crying, so they just didn't shoot it. Mm. Well, and you so know would what? would add a little bit more of it.
1: I get it. Like, when you've got this many balls in the air, someone's going to get short shrift. I always thought that Kaylee got a short bum deal in the Firefly movie. But yeah. what are you going to do? Like, with that many characters, you're going to probably lose somebody. But more so than any of the movies up till this point, I think they spread the goods amongst the cast in a good way. And I felt like everybody had stuff to do for the most part. Right. Stuff <laughs> to do. Interestingly,
3: of, of all of the main characters, the one who probably, he has plenty to do. McCoy right. but he, he doesn't have much of an arc for number four which is kind of interesting considering he's the one who had just carried Spock's whatever the hell it was called his soul uh, McCoy a there's a little bit at the beginning of McCoy kind of like shaking it off he's still a little bit different he but, has some fun with Spock and Spock's mostly the one who's still a little bit different but McCoy doesn't have any kind of arc for himself no he just movie.
4: functions as Kirk's uh, thought wall mm. He just throws things back at him and offers resistance, so that Kirk has something to dialogue against. But it's—I just wanted to say, like you said, they spread the goods around. Yeah. I think the biggest, the the thing that I dislike most about this movie is, the result of that. Like all this, like check off having the chase sequence, that's thrilling, <laughs> uh, is fun, but Kirk is the one that, particularly watching it this last time, is the one that really feels shortchanged. Kirk doesn't really have anything character-wise to struggle with in this movie. You certainly it's well picking up the pieces of... after David and after having like knowing he's going back to Earth to go to prison, yet he can't change the fact that he is a, a certain way and he's going to try to save the world anyway. It, his snug know, optimism but, has obviously survived the death of his
1: son because there's a bounce to Kirk in this movie that is like that you don't almost buy the stakes that the, the the world the planet earth is at stake if they don't get these whales back people are going to die and well, that's it some yeah. of that
3: bounce might come from the fact that he's back in well no he's not really back in the captain seat where he belongs until the end of the movie when they give him the enterprise back but yeah um, he's still not expecting the bird of prey that to happen the time, yeah. yeah which is
1: lucky for their premise because but but he's really cloaked he, in central park for yeah the whole he's, park
3: he's feeling pretty damn motivated to get everybody home you're right he's maybe a bit too plucky about things. But, but the way he deals
1: with the lady at the
3: aquarium... All of his crew, they all, like, broke the law to come and help him yeah. save his buddy. Yeah. And he's really got to pull out all the stops to get these people home, to save the world, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, meanwhile, he's just drinking Michelob with some blonde at a bar. Well, that being said, Michelob. Kirk womanizes his way through the show like he's like he's uh, James Bond. Oh, I told and this, you this is the first time we get to angle. see Absolutely. him have any kind of romantic angle. Now, it's too bad. Since that character was sort of set up for a return possibly, right? Like they could have brought I'm sure that Bennett had that on the shelf in the back of his mind is like maybe this could be a future love interest for Kirk. He's well, the first woman that Kirk's ever brought back from the past. She <laughs> is now present. becoming
1: the fish out of water. Yeah.
3: Exactly. It was the it was reverse crocked Dundee. It was the second half of the movie where he come second movie where she goes to uh, Australia.
4: I want to point out that Jillian, the the cetacean biologist, was originally supposed to be played by Eddie Murphy. Oh, really? Imagine, like you were saying how close this came to cratering as uh, terrible 80s, wacky 80s. 80s. Imagine. Like, what would have made this movie put an 80s stamp on this movie more than Eddie Murphy
3: being in it? Well, if Eddie Murphy had been playing a woman cetacean biologist (laughs) in drag...
1: In a a fat suit. Yeah. Uh, To be fair, this was the time where Eddie Murphy could do anything and people would line up for it. Yeah. I'm sure he was, like projected to be in every movie in production because if you had Eddie Murphy in your movie it was a hit. Well people
3: were lining up for Star Trek without Eddie Murphy. What
1: I wanted to bring up about this this woman who comes back from the past into our Star Trek timeline is if I was you know going to be running a Star Trek show or, or looking at making a Star Trek movie, my first fucking rule day one to the cast and everybody is no fucking time travel. We're done we're closing the books on time travel because it opens up problems it really does like presumably i guess she was fated to come with them but otherwise perhaps she had a kid with somebody else and then that kid had you know another kid and then that led to kirk fucking existing right like yeah the whole timeline well, we don't
3: know that julian had a kid we don't necessarily. know necessarily we yeah. don't know and like maybe this is all but this, necessary is again, to this is again this is influence he would say i don't give a shit you're yeah. thinking too much i understand
1: but these are the wormholes that you open up when you start <laughs> playing with 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 time travel and i know that this is a bouncy silly movie and they're not even going to begin to address it but it's it, it always distracts me time travel is just fucking messy so i i uh, that would that's it's a sticking point with me If you're making a fun bouncing movie like Back to the Future, great. But this is Star Trek, and there's some kind of continuity. I realize that you know a different actress played savik in a couple different movies. I can accept that. But is there one reality? Is this different timeline now? Like uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I hate the metaphysical bullshit that time travel always opens up, and it's always problematic in Star Trek. And they go to that well again and again. And again, yeah.
4: but this is the only movie when they do. We've mentioned so, City well, on the so Edge we get of Forever. Into the next
1: generation shit, but yeah. yeah. They don't count. We've mentioned
3: yeah. City on the Edge of Forever. This is the third time now, but it's interesting that the same show that had that episode would later, so. In, in that movie, so frivolously disregard the notion of "don't fuck up the timeline." Yeah, right. They go there. They teach them how to make transparent aluminum two hundred years before anyone's supposed to know. And Scotty and McCoy are yeah, just but like, Scotty
4: McCoy, meh, whatever. Didn't and learn the lesson. Made, that this Kurt
3: is
1: being, being a self-hating nerd right now, <laughs> but it really yeah. does bother me like <laughs> <Yeah>. every time.
3: <laughs> that, um, yeah, they're in. They're not. They don't get in trouble for stealing Enterprise, doing all of this stuff. Nor do they get in trouble for blatantly disregarding Starfleet regulations about about messing with the timeline, but they did save the entire planet, they managed to find a couple of humpbacks, they bring them back to the future, Humpback the people. whale the whale probe <laughs> makes some happy space, whale love, and goes on its merry way, and, the, and Stella gets her groove back, right, like they get a new, a shiny, spanking new enterprise.
1: But here's the thing, I recommend Star Trek 4, I just say know what you're getting into. If you're walking into this wanting to see Wrath of Kong, well, you're going to be disappointed. Just go fucking watch Wrath of Kong again.
3: But if you have fond memories of Star Trek IV and you're thinking, I'd watch Star Trek IV again, except it'll probably just be all 80s and shitty. It's not that. It's not. Well, it's all 80s. It's just not shitty. Yeah. Yeah, it's all 80s and not nearly as shitty as it could have been if things had been just a little different.
1: But I think we would be lying if we didn't all admit that it was a step or two down from the last couple of pages. It's true. But
3: we'd also all be lying if we didn't admit that one of our favorite moments in Star Trek is Spock nerve-pinching the, the uh, punk rocker on the bus. Like, you gotta love Star Trek Four. There are some great moments. The
4: things that, that tie this one to the previous two and make it a bit of a trilogy, or why they're thought of as a trilogy don't really have anything to do with what happens in this movie, though. No, they have that's to do with, kind with him getting getting only complaint home, against Again, and then it. the
3: bow that's tied on it is yeah. Spock finally making peace with his father, which is something that's been ongoing. Well, never
4: concerned, I had never thought of that until you pointed it out when we watched it this time, but the fact that Kirk is rewarded at the end of this for, as the guy says, the proof you've shown time and again for... Belonging beyond a shadow of a doubt in this place, and we're gonna put you there, and having that re- the reassurance he needs after everything that he's lost, and like he has a place in the universe again. Yeah. If they hadn't made another Star Trek movie and it had just ended with them I'd be hopping happy. on the Enterprise and yeah. him saying, "Let's see what she's got," and I'm it had sorry. just ended, that that's would have exactly been okay. that's exactly why I say that that three episode package, two or uh, movies two, three, four is. But ending up there has nothing to do with anything that happens in Star Trek IV. It That's It just right. has to do with the fact that the repercussions of his choices in 3 don't come to fruition until the end of 4. Right. And this is the
1: one I keep on conflating the movies together for some reason where they punish him by demoting him to Captain and giving him his own starship. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a punishment slash reward. I, 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 I like that.
3: Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a good ending. And the, the Spock conflict, I mean, it's you have to dig a little deeper into Star Trek to fully understand that Spock was an abused child, basically, right? His right. father rejected him in many ways because Spock is half a human aspect. Yeah. Right, Spock's mother's human, Sarek never really fully approved of well, him. Sarek, Sarek disapproved of Spock's choice to join Starfleet and to live among the humans and all of that. And it's not really present in the show because the nature of television at the time was really episodic and things like that were not, were not would be addressed in an episode and wouldn't really be left to hang. There's stuff funny enough in the animated series that delves into that stuff about Spock's past and his father not. His pets. looking. pets. Yeah, his, he's like his Sarek's least favorite, that sort of thing, and Spock's pet uh, Targ. Targ. No, no the Targ is the Klingon thing, yeah. Anyway, uh, finally at the end of that movie Sarek expresses, openly shows
4: his, uh, his care. Yeah. He his says son. he was wrong, too. Yeah. You don't learn until next generation that it kind of gets turned on its ear what you thought it was. You learn that he was actually a shitty father. Yeah. Because his son was half-human, he knew from the outset he didn't understand the way he was, and it pissed him off that he had to deal with a, with a half-human son, and that he didn't... And that pissed him off even more,
3: him. because it, it, he's not supposed to get pissed off. He's yeah. a Vulcan.
4: so he blamed his son for it. So, you don't find that out till much later. And neither do you. So when he says he's wrong, basically, that my assessment of your decision was wrong to nerds like us it means yeah. a lot to nobody else does it mean
3: shit and Spock does learn more about how his father truly felt about him later because Spock lives a couple hundred more years mm-hmm. and would later meet, not quite that long but he would later meet Captain Jean-Luc Picard who once upon a time we find out met Sarek and mind melded with Sarek and so offers Spock the opportunity if you'd like to Mind melt with me, you'll be able to touch your father's mind because, contrary to what's normal, Sarek and Spock had never touched bonds, which yeah. was is apparently very. So he doesn't find out till then that his dad, son, that his his dad father father truly loved did it. love. Him.
1: That's the yeah that was the big daddy finally admitted that he loved me. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> he admits it at
4: the end of four, and then Spock really feels it. In it's really the weird. Time. I didn't. I actually watched that episode recently too, as I was making my way through, and it occurred to me that. That was only 5 years after Voyage Home came out. Like by t- that's not a really long space of time in terms of sto- movie storytelling. Not for the fans, but uh, it just feels like ages would have gone. Maybe because I was a child when that came out, so a year felt like seems, an amazing yeah. amount of time. summer vacation. But to think forever. that you see him with his father in Star Trek 4 and then they're, you know, they're both in that Next Generation episode and that storyline gets resolved that some same writers maybe were involved in mm-hmm. making that happen. Yeah.
1: Well at the end of the day I, I like I said, I am I'm impressed with Star Trek IV and that it was way better than I expected it to be. But I would be hard pressed to like, you know, say it's an amazing movie. Yeah. Star Trek fans are obviously gonna like it because it's called Star Trek. <laughs> but yeah. like uh, for the outsiders I think mean, like, you know take it or leave it. It's not bad. This it's was not yeah, bad. This
3: was my first a pass at Star Trek 4 in high def. It was my first pass at any of these movies in high def was for this podcast. And I was really expecting the cracks to show in the effects in this movie. For the most part, pretty solid. And it looked some of the whale stuff doesn't look that great, but I think that the some of the, at the whale beginning,
1: stuff? there's some of the animations, sort of you could see
3: the edges. Yeah, yeah, you see some matte lines. You could see some matte lines, but some of the, the a lot of the whale footage was gorgeous. They went and shot some pretty cool nature footage for yeah. For but the majority of, of it is but some of the yeah. There's a lot of animatronic stuff. I think it looks decent, but you know the, the matte paintings look good. All kinds of stuff looks really good in that movie. Now it actually did have a bigger budget than two or three but not by much, like, they made all of those movies on the cheap, like, 12 million, 20 million, 30 million. And it seems like it
1: would be way cheaper, because there's so little space stuff, it's all set in the modern era. Yeah, area. they're just have wandering to, around. They have to build half the amount of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but,
3: like, but so much location shooting. Yeah. Location shooting's expensive. It's and they shot
1: on an actual boat, looks like, so, like, uh... Yeah. Yeah.
3: But they shot an actual boat. They also shot places like Times Square. That's a pretty expensive day, yeah. right? It's a pretty expensive day to shoot uh, at, you know, the naval base. Well, they in didn't San shoot Francisco in Times Square because that's in New York, but or, right, sorry, sorry, yeah, they're in San Francisco. Yeah, but they they shot all sorts of places. I think of, of, of I, Croc- I think e. of New York because of Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, up yeah totally. Did. That scene that's where right. it cuts to
4: them walking in the street and that saxophone comes in, mm-hmm. in the background. That's totally Croc Dundee. It's
3: got to be expensive to uh, shut down a hospital for a day and uh, run I, a rampant chase through it, that sort of thing. I
1: think we've come to the conclusion, though, that the thing that this movie was missing was Paul Hogan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there, there wasn't enough Paul Hogan in this movie. I would have liked Paul Hogan maybe as one of the whales.
2: Only one crew dare travel where no man has ever gone before. We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. On a desolate planet, a renegade Vulcan seeks ultimate knowledge. To find it, we'll need a starship. And he will stop at nothing to get it. I dreamt that a madman had taken over the Enterprise. (laughs) You look like you've just seen a ghost. Perhaps I have, Captain. Our destination is the planet Shakari. Eden. At the center of the galaxy. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. If you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons. Ain't on course. To Kirk, he's a fanatic to be fought. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. I say that danger is an illusion. To the crew, he's a mystic to be followed. Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been. I have to get back to the Transporter. To Spock, he's the past he must confront. Shoot him! You know. Scott, my only concern is getting the ship back. And you're either with me or you're not. Put him in the brig with Captain Kirk. I'm a prisoner on my own ship. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand.
1: After after an intermission of, of a week or so, we're gonna continue on with our Star Trek discussion. Was, How long has it been? That was quite a it's been nap. longer
4: than a week. Ten days, maybe? I, I have two. no
1: concept of time. I was just asleep. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, Star Trek 5. Uh, no, yes, 5. We're on 5. Star Trek yeah. 5, The Final Frontier. I remember when we were watching this movie, uh, you guys were we were talking a little bit about it while it was on, and uh, I felt the fandom there. I felt you guys wanting to make this movie good. <laughs> That's all you have while watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... As much as I felt that, in the same way I felt it from like when I talked about Star Wars, both Ashley and Dorian, I felt a little bit of pushback on the prequels. Like Ashley saw them when she was really young, so yeah. you know they had lightsabers. Those were her. And Dorian Star was like, Wars "If you read some of the other stuff around this, this kind of makes sense and is sort of cool in a backwards kind of way, right? You're trying to course correct for it." Right. Well. I see where you guys are coming from, <laughs> but this movie is terrible. I'm sorry, it's not a good movie. It's not a good it's movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's tough for me as far as where to rank it in the spectrum because whereas the first movie frustrated me, I saw what they were going for there. Mm. I, like They were trying to go highbrow with it and trying mm. to move Star Wars up to a different level. They didn't know, sorry, Star Trek, pardon me, Star Trek to a different level. They didn't really know what the Star Trek movie franchise was going to be yet, but when we come to Star Trek Five, everybody knows what the
3: Star Trek franchise should be, and it's William presence here. And everybody is under the understanding as they're making the movie that this is to be the final. This yeah. is the Star Trek swan song. That they're going to the be crew, right? yeah, this, this is, is the, the last piece. one. Yeah. Right, the final frontier. And wowzers! I mean, first of all don't put me in the same boat as my brother. I've never defended this movie to the extent he does.
1: But I felt that that energy in the room. Yeah, and
3: the things that I like about this movie, I just, when I I have to watch it, or when I do choose to watch it because I'm running a fever or something, uh, and I've watched all of the airplane movies already, then I'll watch this movie and I'll really enjoy the campfire uh, marshmallow roast, or I'll really enjoy them... Singing row, row, row your boat at the end. Row, 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 your row, boat. Row, row your boat. <laughs> row your <It's>, row boat. <laughs> the movie is ridiculous. Jaron, you can probably fill us in a little bit when we talk about it on some of the, the challenges in the production and why the movie's even worse than it might have been if it had had every chance it could have. But we should probably yeah, do... This is This is of one line. of the Star Trek movies that listeners might be less familiar with.
1: Well, I think they kind of go back to the, you know, a strange entity appears in the de- far reaches of space that sort of demands an answer or a mm-hmm. response. And they have what should be a really interesting villain in this sort of Vulcan zealot, religious figure who is sort of... An um, emotional Vulcan.
3: Yeah. He's, on paper, it sounds pretty good. He's Spock's brother. That's a mystery for a little while.
4: Yeah. And he was supposed to be played by uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> on a time when the movie had money. Well, there, eh? <laughs> the point is he sort of Hello Spock. <laughs> this
1: evil Vulcan sort of builds this cult around himself to go to cross this great space barrier and confront this entity which he believes to be God. The barrier
3: at the center of the galaxy. <laughs> and I mean, this sounds like
1: more familiar return to Star Trek, you know, tropes that we've seen in the past, but workable, right? Workable. Especially since Star the
4: way Trek. he surrounds himself with the cult is by helping people to face the mistakes they've made and become stronger as a result. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's paper-thin gray area, but there's a gray area that he's working in. He's not just a villain.
1: I'd, I, you see, for me, I think that one of my big problems is that they don't pull the trigger on that character. I say let I think him he's be... he's a
4: straight-up
3: villain.
1: Let him be an evil Vulcan. Let him be bad. <laughs> And the movie doesn't quite let that happen.
3: I think he is. I mean, he maybe the movie doesn't treat him as bad enough, but uh, he no, because it's tragic risks tragic the, the lives of all of those people just to get through the barrier at the center of the galaxy. He does it all because he has a vision or a feeling or whatever.
1: And somehow by getting people to confront their worst uh, emotions, that he gets immediate, unbridled loyalty from them. It's like they get it one great session with good. a shrink and all of a sudden not only is it a thank you, but I will follow your any command and I will violate any belief system that I had previous to meeting you ten minutes yeah. ago. See and it's this paper is thin, thin, like this I said. is one it's of the so places. Weak. And the
4: and his whole motivation hangs on that. So like why people follow him hangs on this thing that we never truly get well, we don't get any um, uh, imagistic sense of how it works until like an hour into the movie. Which I don't is, like how everybody likes him except
3: for Kirk. Uh, that bothered me. <laughs> it's true, and I want to get to that too, but I wanted to bring us back to the plot. Right. To something where, Jaren, you were saying that the way Cybok... Shybok.
4: Shybok. <laughs> you a uh,
3: Cybok converts his followers by releasing their pain using some of his Vulcan mind-whammy powers. That some kind him. of He's empathic like developed it to a new level where he can probe their memories and and... and help them absolve themselves of their mistakes, etc. So we get an interesting sequence later in the movie as Cybok hijacks the ship and is moving it towards the center of the galaxy where he has taken over most of the crew at the point where Spock and Everybody but the McCoy the and, and Kirk are the last three who ever haven't been converted. Oh, and Scotty. And so Spock faces his pain and uh, uh, McCoy has the scene where he relives pulling the plug on his father. Yeah, uh, And Kirk... This is, and this is one of the places where Shatner's ego really shows, is, of course, the only guy who's immune to Shybox powers. Yeah. Well, he just right. rejects the, the He idea. just rejects the whole thing, but Shibok seems to be able to whammy everybody else. Yeah, but and uh, just to keep defending Kirk the movie, the that's whole, probably how I this is going to go. Thing. Thing. <laughs> you <laughs> you guys poke holes and I offer
4: de- <laughs> defense. If you think about it, nobody else in the movie up till the point where Kirk says, no, I, I don't want my pain taken away understands at what's at work. Mm. So he's watched it happen to his two best friends and now has an understanding of what it's done to them. Yeah, And he else doesn't is... even allow Cyborg to like move toward him or like start the process. And you have to meet Again, him halfway. You get that idea that you need to... You have of... to want it. Yeah. And he, he knows if this is what you're going to do to me, that's the opposite of what I want. Yeah. Because without my pain, I won't be me. Yeah. The things that I like about myself to the extent that I've sacrificed everything else will go away. Yeah, my like need, my pain drives me, and the drive is why I am who I am.
1: I just think it would be more interesting that it, instead of him being genuinely a religious zealot, that he knew that this was a sham and this was all a pledge for power. You know, mm-hmm. I think that he could just be able, to get them to the yeah to get followers to get like a, a genuine cult leader would be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because uh, what happens is the movie sort of tries to make a tragic fate out of this Vulcan and gives us a. Bad guy in the last ten minutes, which is ridiculous and pointless. Yeah, except the,
3: the bad guy, the video. bad guy at the center of the galaxy. We should just finish off the synopsis and yeah. then move into ripping it apart yeah. and defending it. Whatever is that? There's a being at the center of the galaxy who's been masquerading as, well, he pretends to be Jehovah, the, right. the God of the Jews and Christians and Muslims, and of course the crew sees through that pretty quickly, and he's has he zaps them with some eye beams and. Then I believe they blow it up with a, a to- with photon a torpedo. Photon torpedo yeah. Kaboom! And his disembodied godhead. No, then clones. it takes
4: some like Klingon gunnery. That's where they have to the phaser gets in to there to and disrupts him. him up with disruptors. But that does the trick. That
0: kills <laughs> yeah. God.
1: Yes, I seem to remember God being killed with the help of a relatively guy. easily. Yeah. Now yeah. I have
3: I have a problem with the movie that's <laughs> central. That I want to talk about before we get too far away from it, because you just is mentioned that enough it, synopsis? So you I just so mentioned I it. I think we have the whole movie there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more, then sit through <laughs> the final frontier. It's worth it. It is maybe worth it if you if if it's worth listening to this podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely worth far. watching the movie, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unlike the really interesting, do the needs of the one ever outweigh the needs of the many? A philosophical question that two three four examines yeah. the philosophical question five is is a person driven and defined by his pain and kirk seems to argue in the movie seems to argue pretty strongly in favor of the fact that yes that's what drives him anyway right yeah and i think that that's sort of nonsense <laughs> that people are driven by their pain i think somebody who really feels like it's his pain that drives him is maybe not healthy and maybe that's an interesting thing about kirk is that he's not ever been particularly mentally healthy right but well I don't know. I, the, and the interesting thing about it is i think that maybe a person is more defined by how good they are at releasing themselves from from pain, from pain and Maybe that's what Kirk's talking about—is that he needs to be able to deal with his own pain instead do it of, of, sh- of getting... Chaybok magicking it away. Yeah, with he his
4: says, "Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know pain can't be removed with a wave of magic wand." That's right. You've got so, to—you've got to cope with
3: it and deal it's with not it yourself. That
4: he distrusts the goal I don't think as much as he distrusts Sybok he doesn't want to become one of his mindless cult members on his own ship when his ship is the only thing he gives a shit about do you think the
3: movie's supposed to be an attack
4: on the pharmaceutical (laughs) 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 industry
3: is is Sybok sort of like an antidepressant it's like they're exchanging their pain
1: for their free will though right they lose their pain but they also seem to you know they don't become do they
3: lose their free will or do they find it to be so super awesome that they all unanimously speak in favor of shybock because it feels like they're really happy well except
4: those three don't there's something about their makeup their experience with him that's that's what i'm saying about like how when he puts the mind whammy on uh bad tooth guy at the beginning of the movie that guy has no idea what's going on. Cyborg just looks at him and there's some drumming in the background. And then but, he feels so great, he's grateful. So yes. it's coming from gratefulness. And I believe in you because you were able to, to do something that made me feel so good. I want to follow you now. But, but Bones that's not and how Spock, it's played all of the time. No, and that's what—that's where the movie fails. Yeah. That's what's bad about the movie. A
1: lot of the
3: times it just seems like they've become pod people. It's internal logic that yeah. doesn't work. Bones and Spock, though, are quite affected by their experience with Cybok and having their pain probed, McCoy in particular, but yeah. both of them are. It's not until Kirk refuses that they sort of shake it off. And their that's, loyalty that's to him outweighs what they've gained. It's very old Star Trek, but it's very white hat, black hat. Captain Kirk is always the one guy that can resist the mind beam the longest, or the one guy that can do this. And you know,
4: That's why yeah. he's Captain Kirk, though. If I felt more so certain inhuman.
3: of what that... Was supposed to say in this movie, which is no, don't let go of your pain, hang on to it and let it drive you. Then I might f- be less confused by the fact that Kirk is well, the one who sort of snaps everybody out this of this This is with maybe
4: argument a good place to chime in then with some of the stuff that you said about what I could tell you about, like what went on behind the scenes. <laughs> this movie originally was supposed to be the search for actual God mm-hmm. and. I don't know who it was, probably Gene Roddenberry. Somebody put the kibosh on that and said, I think it was Roddenberry told him, No, I've, look, Will, we'll Bill, I've tried to do God before it, the studio won't go for real God. Oh, okay, well, what if we go in search of God and find somebody masquerading as God who's actually an evil entity? And he's like, Yeah, you can do that. We've That's fine. That. <laughs> yeah, so, we do that for breakfast. Yeah. So. So, immediately, the movie that he wanted to make, which was about actually finding God in the traditional sense, was turned into something else right. from page one. So, he's already not making the movie he wanted to make. Right. Then, throughout the filming process, all through production, the budget continued to be cut. So, the scene, for instance, where Cyborg is putting the whammy on Bones and, on, and Spock... Um, I don't know specifically if that scene is an example, but they would have, say, three days to shoot a scene, and then the day before they're supposed to start, they'd all suddenly have two days to shoot a scene, that mm. kind of a thing, mm-hmm. because the schedule just kept getting redone. So as a result, they couldn't shoot the same scene. They'd have to rewrite the scene on like, exactly. a weekly basis. They'd be rewriting stuff. Uh, in addition to which, there'd be scenes written that people would object to. So that scene in particular, in the script, Shatner or uh, Kirk was supposed to be turned upon by both of them. Spock was supposed to side with Cybok, yeah. and Kirk was supposed to be completely alone the against the script him. kinda telling him. And, and like Nimoy just flat out going. said no. He's like, no. Spock, Spock would, would never ever turn against Kirk. Yeah. That just wouldn't happen. That like people watching this movie who know the characters won't buy that.
3: But the momentum of the script is
4: moving towards that happening when Spock and McCoy are so affected by their Shylock. And experience. I think the reason the movie is so hard to watch is because the unevenness present is people like I think Nimoy's instinct was correct, but then they should not have written a scene ever where that was to take place. Right. It should have been solved before it became the problem. And that's it the became. Problem.
1: Like, if you're writing the movie as you go, that's, like, almost never a good sign. Yeah,
4: especially if you're William Shatner writing the movie. And if you're, you're spending
1: millions of dollars, even if it's significantly less than the previous films, you know, wait till you're ready to shoot. But my problems reach even bigger than that. Oh, because I'm not saying that's the film's everybody only Everybody on board should have known that Ohura doing a fucking feather dance, boa dance or whatever, to distract the guards, yeah. was on its face an Ridiculous. absolutely stupid idea. <laughs> yeah. The fact Why? that that scene got shot mm-hmm. and taken seriously, like, like the fact that that's there is such damning evidence to the film. <laughs> like, and the, the really thing... things sad that got thing cut thing, that, yeah,
3: stage. Is that yeah. All of the the stories that you hear about Nichelle Nichols being proud about moving uh, women's rights forward... Black women. And black women. Having a black, black presence on that the bridge. when it comes to Star Trek The Swan Song... That she is what Uhura gets to do—is a naked, that's her standout moment. Geriatric in in the striptease. Couldn't they have had Uhura do something a little bit better? They let I Deanna remember finding kind of sexy when I was a nine-year-old in, watching this. They let Deanna Troy fly the fucking ship. Why couldn't they let yeah, Uhura she do something it. real? Well, of course. Well,
1: but not only that, but the, the fact that all these guards, these like cultists would immediately drop their guard and their guns and just yeah. wander over with their jaws hanging open. Yeah, like, apparently they don't have women on This yeah. belongs in the Naked Gun movies, okay? Not the fucking Star Trek movies. And again, the shot should have known that. He was calling action and cut. Yeah. Like, to f- Say What We Will was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, Big well, I
3: think, this you movie know. <laughs> I think
4: his ego was probably driving most of those decisions.
3: How close to ground floor was Harv Bennett on the God element to the storyline. Was he part of who pushed it to be a deity, in per, uh, a false deity, pretending to be Jehovah? I don't know
4: who made that call, but once the call was made, that's what, like, allowed the movie to go into production as, as a movie where they go in search of God, mm-hmm. which was Shatter's concept that he was pushing. Also, See, the only reason thing. he got to direct a movie was because he's had in his contract since the movies. He gets whatever Nimoy gets. Whatever Nimoy gets, I get. So because Nimoy <laughs> had directed Star Trek three. He gets to He was supposed to direct four. He's like, it's my turn now. And they wanted Nimoy back, and to his credit, he was like, well, okay, yeah, I don't... Go ahead, Let me, he'll, he'll direct it, but then I do five. I thank
3: goodness, imagine if Shatner had directed that ridiculous script. Nimoy managed to hold it together. I think Shatner would have... On made a technical level,
4: Like
1: the movie looks okay, for the most part. There's some dated special effects in it, mm-hmm. but I'm not even going to be like that slack on him as a director stylistically. But clearly it's this so movie... so bland and... But he gets the job done, right? Like yeah. it's, he's unobtrusive. It feels like an
4: episode, though. Right, right. Whereas, it feels like a cheap episode. Two, three, and four. Yeah, totally. Two, three, and four uh, have a grandeur to them, just in what's going on. That even though some of the sets, especially by today's standards, seem pretty like cardboardy, um, it doesn't matter. It's kind of just charming and. It, it, to me, it doesn't make the movies feel small.
3: I thought watching those and ones and five again, does in high totally. Def, I thought watching two, ni- none of those three, two, three, and four were not harmed by the 1080p transfer that we watched. Five, I felt like it was. Yeah. I felt five looked like it was made of cardboard. I thought well, that, there's yeah.
1: a horrible shot of Kirk falling.
3: There's like a right, really yeah, the really rocket bad... boots. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then <laughs> Spock does the rocket boots. Yeah. yeah, it looks pretty bad. And like
4: the oil. The just oil too bad and water. All of the, the
3: previous footage of him free climbing El Capitan Was is great. really great footage. Yeah. And then the fall.
4: Yeah. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> he's very clearly just like strung up by his hips, the way yeah. he's awkwardly yeah. dangling from his hips and his legs are kind of pointing down a bit too. It doesn't make much sense yeah. gravity wise. Yeah.
1: It stings.
4: And again, most of the special effects problems. Well, it was two things. Budget cuts. The model had been damaged, so they yes. could only film it in certain ways. The model ways. had been vandalized Enterprise. and
3: spray painted on one side when they took it and, out of storage. And they
4: would not pay to make a new one. No. <laughs> so they just had to shoot it they in certain angles. They wouldn't even pay to
3: repaint it properly. <coughs> so they had two anglers, like an aft, a starboard aft angle, and there was one sort of front on angle yeah. from which they and could shoot it. And they reused footage okay. from
4: motion picture.
1: They're, when the count, flies they're, they're course correcting constantly for all of these adversities. So maybe, maybe we should be saying congratulations for making a movie that was that even halfway watchable. That doesn't
4: affect the
3: final but ranking of a movie. You can't what, but, judge a movie based on how how it might have were been trying to make. Like, there was
1: like, all if you're kinds ready of... to shoot. Don't shoot the movie. Like it, the, it gets expensive once you start rolling film, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you needed a few more months of pre-production, if they have to delay the movie another six months so be
4: it the thing that the reason I could still watch this movie and not just like hate the experience is because the stuff that was always my favorite things about Star Trek my favorite parts of the movies to watch is is the stuff that comes through in this one and is the most watchable so them around the campfire having you know I'm not going to call it witty banter, but very on-point character banter that's appropriate for them, where the chemistry... And where they give it time to dialogue, actually have a whole it breathes, scene right. of banter instead of a moment. The dialogue serves those characters and is in character for them. It's stuff that uh, I'm very... I believe it right away, it's, it's the tone of the show. It's also part of why it
3: feels like an episode, though. Is yeah, that exactly. They take the time to have a ten-minute campfire sequence in a movie where the pacing of two, three, and four, you would never have time for the three of them to just have tea they, for ten minutes of screen time. Yeah. Well, and
1: here's the other thing that I'm going to say that I think you guys might not like as much. Uh, whereas I'm 100% on board for the scene with DeForest Kelly confronting, you know, the the pain in his life, that mm-hmm. might be one of the best scenes he's had, like, maybe in the whole series. Yeah, I mean, in the movies, at least. It, uh, in the series of movies I'm talking about, yeah, here. Uh, where I don't go with you so much as I don't know that the row, 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 your boat mm-hmm. thing landed for me at all. I think there was a bit of a snicker factor for mm. me that really shouldn't have been there. And uh <laughs> yeah, no, that's
4: possible. It was I think already have...
1: in
3: '89. It was already a nostalgic thing for me, right. and I know it's corny. I know it's corny completely. Uh, I do think that some of the the uh, the campfire stuff is legitimately good uh, banter for those characters, but I don't think any of the 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 trip to Yosemite is all. Total corndog stuff. Right? I think the
4: reason it it resonated for me even as a kid, and I wouldn't have been able to put my finger on this then, but it continued for a while in my life before it changed to any degree, which which was like when, when Kirk says uh we don't have families, you know, he's sort of saying like we're all loners, we're yeah. just loners together. I think he's That's trying to come
3: to like the Starfleet swingers getaway. <laughs>
4: I think even as a 9-year-old kid seeing this in the theater that resonated with me right. like I always felt like a loner it's probably why I liked Star Trek. I didn't even even the close friends I had were very different from me and probably nerd the, the idea <laughs> yeah they certainly didn't watch Star yeah, yeah. Trek. I would watch that alone always. Yeah. Um so the idea that you can be alone, but if you find other people who are alone in the same way, then you're not alone anymore. That's, that's the quote, appeal of Star Trek to a great degree. That's why there's band in conventions. The, in
1: the country band of Blue Rodeo, if we are lost, we are lost together. Yeah,
3: exactly. So I think that's <laughs> I think you might be putting more weight and emphasis on the... Friends are important. <laughs> Elements of Star Trek. Isn't no, necessary. no, no! It's the fact that it's in place of as something else. As long as we have friends, it. I, I think there are other things going on in Star Trek. Yes, but, but, uh, and I know no, no, that's no, no, not. You're what misunderstanding you're me. Too. I'm intentionally being in obtuse. Okay, fine. I'll drop it then. You, no, you go Let's ahead keep and my coffee. It's all right. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> again, I feel like I'm pissing in the Trekkie pool here because uh, I'm not. Again. The end of the movie, the climax of yeah. the movie. I guess the confrontation was awful. The events that we spend the whole movie waiting to happen is fucking brutal, <laughs> you guys. Yeah. It's brutal. A giant television screen appears, <laughs> hey,
4: and
3: I was the one telling you going into this podcast, I'm telling you, Larry, the motion picture is a better movie than Star Trek Five. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm telling you. Now, it's funny tough. enough, in re watching it, you know, there the, there are two places, and we'll talk about it when we get to the rankings, which we're going to have to cut this review pretty short here <laughs> soon, I think, right? It's going on. We're, we're getting there, yeah. <laughs> but there are two thing. places where there's a little bit of humming and hawing for me on the list. Uh, the bottom of the list the, is tougher than the, the top. The bottom of the list that. is tougher than the top, but we'll talk about that <laughs> right the rankings. Star Trek V, uh, fine. So the climax of the, climax. the movie, uh,
1: you know, again... I like the idea of a Vulcan villain who is an honest villain. Like, Spock, focused with malevolent intent, is terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. But we didn't get that. So we get this villain at the end, and his sudden turnaround, oh my god, I was wrong, I will sacrifice myself to buy you guys the time to get out of here, Happens so quickly and so clumsily that I, I think I missed the actual moment where the movie
4: actually peaked. Like,
1: yeah, right. oh, it, it, uh, we're done. because well, <laughs> okay. it didn't happen, because they didn't
4: get to film what was supposed to happen. Uh, They showed up on the day, and the, like, rock creatures that were supposed to chase them didn't look right on canvas, so they were like, uh, something else. The
1: emotional punch of the end of the movie, I mean, would have had more to it. Maybe I would have forgiven Row, Row, Row Your Boat into Eternity, Mm -hmm. and this is the closing of the curtain on the Star Trek universe, if not for the fact that, like, there was, all the events leading up to this has just been terrible, and then we have this pretty saccharine final scene, and, uh... Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> not a fan. No, not a
3: fan. Steaming
4: <laughs> a giant, big, steaming dump. I, I do agree with you that the Cybok character,
3: like the pay- on-paper character outline for that character, is one of the strong points of the of the script. I would prefer to see a Star Trek five that's maybe Spock's brother, Sybok, played by Sean Connery, uh, shows up, shows up, and. Uh, is actually, Spock's quite happy to see him, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe he's a Romulan agent, though, and he's trying to steal the Enterprise for some reason and get it be into the neutral zone instead oh, that of would into the stakes. great barrier. <laughs> yeah. Spock is forced to make a choice between whether to kill his brother or... Right, there's all sorts of fodder there for a story, too, except exciting and not stupid, although probably needs a bigger budget, right? Mm-hmm. The budget for this movie was, what, Let's see, thirty-three million dollars. Not a tiny chunk of change. Oh, that's hard and to believe. Funny enough, that's uh, five million dollars more expensive than Star Trek VI, as and it Was well, if they were gonna throw more money at it <laughs> after this movie? Okay,
4: we, we uh, yeah, we're looking
3: well, at it. Star Trek V was more expensive than two, three, four, or six.
4: Yeah. And it's the most reviled of
3: all six. So I
1: think I'm done kicking this horse, man. Uh, is there anything you guys want to say about five? I'm sorry, I feel like I've been kind of. I didn't realize. No, no. I
3: didn't realize until just this moment when I looked over these cheat sheet numbers that uh, it was the most expensive of all of those movies. That that actually that makes that it makes, makes worse. me angry. It makes it worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Five just got worse for me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you heard it live it on tape. Was more expensive tape. than the first. Uh, the first one is the only one that cost more than oh, Star okay. Trek Five. The first one was forty-six million, and that of course is nineteen. And that one went way over budget too.
4: So its yeah. product, its original production budget product was probably less than five. Was four. But um, the only thing I want to say is that I, in no way, am under the illusion that this is a good film. But it's you just going a soft spot for it. I would way rather watch a movie this bad that has a couple scenes of Kirk Spock and McCoy saying things to each other in ways that make me feel good about having watched those characters in other stories mm-hmm. and are just a tiny little, like, shining moment in a 100-minute farce than a really bad movie that doesn't have those characters in it. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's so just for hardcore Trekkies only. Yeah, for, for somebody those characters mean a lot to, then... You can enjoy this film in spite of itself. Well, I think this was my final girl and the final friend. <laughs> I think it was. I think
3: it was Kevin Smith who said that. You know, I'm a star in in. Uh, Reference to the prequels. Look, I'm a Star Wars fan, right? And that means that when it comes to the prequels, I'm going to focus on the positive stuff, and I'm going to I'm going to choose to like them to the extent that I can.
1: I will love the Star Wars I have, right? Because and after
3: a point, what choice do that's I have? Kind Kinda of how I feel about Star Trek V. There, right. are, there's about 25 minutes of that movie that I can just think about and be fine, <laughs> and the rest of the time, yeah. th- you know, this, this movie taught me movie. to be an optimist. Right. <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, but speaking as somebody who likes but doesn't love the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. i say you could probably say, please skip this one. The Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it.
2: To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals, Jim. They are dying. And you, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The Galaxy. Stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another? Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace. And you blatantly defile that we haven't fired. According to our data banks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise will not be the instigators of full scale war on the eve of universal peace.
0: They're coming about.
2: Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them
1: forever. And then it was Star Trek VI, The Apology. Or The Undiscovered Country, as it were. Um, I think that if you were to try and squint your eyes a little bit, you might see some subtle parallels with the Cold War <laughs> going on in this tale. Uh, the Klingon Empire is... Yeah, I hadn't thought of that later. Oh, yeah. interesting. I like to dig deep when I do these <laughs> reviews. The Klingon Empire is falling apart, and they can no longer maintain the war. They're going to have to basically d- evacuate the Klingon homeworld and they have no choice but to play ball with the Federation. Uh, and Admiral Kirk at this point, again... No, he's, he's a captain. Oh, he's still a captain. Yeah. Anyway, because he's because been such demotion. a... Uh, yeah, such a figure in this conflict has to sort of be host to this political affair. Thanks and to Spock
3: volunteering. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: And of course, because Volunte- it's not Star Trek Five shit goes down, and it gets really ugly and intense. <laughs> and it's exciting and interesting. <laughs> exactly. And it makes sense. The Klingon ambassador is uh, assassinated in a pretty... Uh, half very impressive, half frustrating special effects sequence that I'm sure we'll talk about. And Kirk and his uh, main, main buddies are put in prison. Uh, McCoy, Kirk and McCoy are in
3: prison. and uh, McCoy. And, and yeah. trying, Spock
4: goes all Sherlock Holmes And on. Spock's turn yeah,
3: to They're in prison out. with Iman. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But <laughs> if you're going to be
1: in prison. We've got space prison, and they've got to break out of there, and they've got to, like, repair the. You know, the Flux capacity. They've got to yeah. fight this evil Klingon, and shit's happening. That's right, the
3: Klingon that can fire while cloaked. Yes. And by Christopher Plummer. Yeah, it's right.
1: Christopher Pl- Plummer just playing it <laughs> full to the go. Full, full Klingon. Um, so, say what you will about Star Trek 6, but it's certainly. Has an energy and an a momentum that was lacking in Star Trek Five, mm, and for that alone, I sigh a breath of fresh air and I feel relief. Now, the real question is: Does it measure up with some of the other ones at Star Trek? And I think, generally, pretty close, but maybe overall not quite.
4: Mm-hmm. I think this one, the, mm, this one, to me, functions the best as a film if you're. This one and four function the best as a film if you're not a Star Trek fan. Like if you're just seeing the characters for the first time and yeah. what you know of them you've like heard in little conversations in passing, that kind of thing. I think maybe this one even more so. The first one allows you to enjoy it really strongly uh, if you know a little bit more about why it's funny that the characters are interacting differently than we're used to. Right. So you need a little bit more backstory on them for that to function. This one doesn't really... Rely on that in the same way for entertainment value. It really is. This stuff could all happen with other characters who weren't Kirk, Spock, McCoy, bon, or uh, yeah. Scotty, and the the story could still be just as enthralling. Really, yeah, you could be just as engaged. So I think that's why it's not one of my favorites. Like I enjoy the movie, but I just I, it feels the least like a Star Trek movie, probably of. I All think, of them, actually.
1: I think the egos might have been a little bit further removed from this process. I think that everybody wanted to go out on a strong Star Trek and maybe actually not constantly fighting with the director or demanding script changes yeah. might actually forward well, that. Part yeah. of that
3: is that because the uh, the actors, including the lead leads, felt like they were in good hands with Nicholas Meyer back yeah. at the helm. that's what I was, was going to say. They brought somebody back
4: who... The reason Wrath of Khan was so good was because they brought somebody in that was a filmmaker first... Yeah but really dug the Star characters Trek. of Star Trek and utilized his passion for them in a really strong way. And I think they reintroduced that for six, and that's why it's you know leaps and bounds in terms of a, just the quality of the film up above five.
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, overall, like I say, I'm a fan. The distracting things, a lot of them, to me, aren't even entirely the movie's fault. Like I think they were trying to push some neat special effects. Uh, they have this zero-g assassination sequence where we see these Klingons floating and getting shot while they're helpless in the air. And as an idea of how to go about killing a room full of Klingons, that's actually right. pretty savvy. They're stalking through
3: the ship <laughs> with magnetic boots and their faces is covered and everyone else is floating. They're helpless. Helpless, yeah. yeah
4: because the Klingons are such... Worthy warriors. If you just beamed onto their ship and tried to kill them, you'd probably that get would, be yeah. would be a mess. It would be a mess. So I like the idea
1: of it, but I don't like the globular, computer animated Klingon blood floating everywhere. It's not but even also the fact isn't that consistent
3: that it's, with canon. And... Yeah, and it's the pinkness is sort of irritating, but it's that that, that effect hasn't held up well. It's and not I think exactly at the time the people were like, terminated. "Wow, well done," mm-hmm. but. I was right impressed away. at the time. Yeah, I the pink
4: blood really dates it as an early '90s movie, just because it's pink. That's oh, weird. Yeah, and it's just to just to put
3: choice. it in context, this is 1991, Twenty-five years. The credits are pink in the credits right? That's the, sort of part of why the episode is timed. Yeah. as it is right now. Yeah, yeah it's almost the,
1: the 25th anniversary, right? I
3: think it is. Wasn't it? Oh wait, isn't it the sixth? Yesterday. Yesterday. Was so the yesterday 25th. was the 25th was the anniversary oh, the, date, yeah. Yeah. the date of the recording. Anyway,
1: yeah. So. Overall, positive things to say, but like I said, there's just a few weirdly distracting things. Uh, I remember clocking it when we watched the movie. The little cameo by uh, Christian Slater, Slater. yeah, mm-hmm. it's not really an important thing at the time. Christian Slater was really, really hot, and he's starting to kind of slowly crawl his way up from
3: from where he had been. He asked uh, to do that too. Yeah, like he was a big Star Trek fan. But in
1: 1991, it was like a gasp moment, right? And now <laughs> he's it's, so he's sort of this
3: Weird, random inclusion.
1: It's like a trivia, yeah. you know, moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's weird little inclusions and moments where they're sort of acknowledging that this is going to be the last movie. And they're having a little bit of fun with it, which doesn't necessarily mesh with the high stakes of the of the drama that's unfolding.
3: No. And that's one of my difficulties with Star Trek Six, which overall I think is a strong entry in the Star Trek movie franchise. As far as... Especially if you take all ten of the movies and okay. look at all of them, it's definitely in the top half of them. those. We'll, we'll just pretend <laughs> yeah. that I'm right. Okay. <laughs> pretend I'm right. Um, Fourteen if you count Starfleet Academy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not counting fan-made movies, Jared. <laughs> and video game movies. Is
1: Starfleet Academy, like the, the Christmas special of the Star Trek
3: universe. <laughs> you uh, will have said, I guess it will be earlier in this episode, even though we recorded Star Trek Four review a week ago or more. Right that you were sort of surprised that Star Trek 4 wasn't quite as goofy and sort of crocodile dundee <laughs> as you remembered it being, right right Star Trek F- yeah. 6 is in moments that goofy or worse right the notion the the scene where the bridge crew breaks out the old dusty Klingon English dictionaries yeah. that came from the where, universal
4: translator would be recognized yeah yeah like even
3: forget about the stupidness of how that doesn't fit into the star trek world like they wouldn't have a bunch of physical klingon dictionaries sitting around but the scene itself was hammy and dorkily done and it's really only there
4: to give the side actor something to do do, but and the audience will laugh at it
3: it's one of those moments where where you were talking about where the shoehorn something in because it's just again this is swan song attempt number two right uh the movie... People were already making jokes about their age at the time of Star Trek V, but this movie in spots really does start to feel like geriatric Trek.
1: But I'm just as happy that it exists because Me I too. would much rather they end on Undiscovered I Country. I would
3: much rather finish with Second Star to the Right and Straight On Till Morning For sure. than Row, 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 Your Boat. Even though I can enjoy <laughs> the Row, 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 Your Boat moment, <laughs> I I prefer the Peter Pan ending yeah. well, Star Trek Honestly, sets.
4: you could... You could, without too much, like f- kicking up too much fuss, if you really wanted to end on row, row, row your boat, you could just watch Star Trek V last. <laughs> yeah. Watch the Menorah, but watch six before it. But that moment it's where possible. they break
3: out the dictionaries, like that's dorkier than anything they've done in the dorkiest episodes yeah. in the third season of the TV
1: series. And totally completely out of out of pace with the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah
4: it's so tense and efficient yeah. and like functions like uh, a non-Star Trek film in a lot of ways to its benefit as a film, yeah. not necessarily as a Star Trek movie. But I and guess then that scene Samara comes along. Trying and you're like, to what? speak
3: Klingon is a better final thing for her to do than the naked. I'll Weird take it over the fan dance for sure. But it's still... But,
1: and they did it better with other characters. Sulu, they give something to do, and it's kind of awesome. He's captain of his own
3: ship, and, and he, he gets, gets to save, save Kirk's the day. And he gets to save ass at the end. Oh,
4: yeah. like uh, He'd been waiting 25 years to go, Flyer then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and but, he fucking owns it when he does.
1: It's yes. great. He sounds like he'd be a great captain, and he does show up and save the day, and he, you know, it's good to see him. It makes sense that they would have, you know, not all remained on the same crew for their entire he'd fucking He'd been giving
4: careers. that note as, like, when he'd have meetings with Paramount, when there'd be a new movie script coming up, they'd yeah. all have, like, a courtesy meeting where they'd be like, what do you think? Like, feedback, George. would, And he would always say, I really think Sulu needs to captain his own ship. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that was an ego thing, right? Because you can only fly the Enterprise for so long under Shatner before you just want to blow your brains out, probably. Well, but
1: ego or not, at least it helped the story, Yeah, is my point. Him showing up to save the day, like, that's awesome. Like, it helps... The excitement, it, 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 it ramps up the tension. We have a possible savior, you know, in the wings. Right. And, you know, it's good. So, I like that. That, that I will definitely say to the positive
3: for mm-hmm. sure. Star Trek is often Shakespearean. Good Star Trek is often very Shakespearean. <laughs> I don't quite like Star Trek characters directly quoting Shakespeare uh, in you know, we get a lot of in the next generation them putting on Shakespearean plays in the theater on the Enterprise, right? But It's still very important. But the villain the the villain quoting Shakespeare while firing photon torpedoes at the Enterprise is I mean it's Christopher Plummer, it's exciting. (laughs) But it's—I kind it's of another... got a kick out of it. I won't lie. Yeah, for sure. But it's kind of silly. Maybe it only bothers me because those Klingons seem to actually believe that Shakespeare's from Kronos. Well, and it's just hard for me to believe that Klingons read at all. Although I do, I do like the notion that at some point after first contact with the Klingons, some scholar on Earth went oh man Klingons are gonna fucking love shit <laughs> yeah, we gotta get, get translated awful. on this <laughs> shit start with Titus Andronicus it, it
4: does come across a little bit as uh, wedged in and I think that's because that's that was just Nicholas Meyer he, the original title for Wrath of Khan was The Undiscovered Country oh, interesting. and he just wanted to use that title so when, when Nimoy called him and said what if the wall came down in space and he was like yeah I'm in I'll make that movie done uh, he probably went he needed Ooh, to fill, I can his, use that title now he needed to fill his liquor cabinet well <laughs>
1: here's another sort of section of the movie that I 'm of two minds of the whole space prison. first mm. of all, I love this as a concept like yes. this idea of a up yeah this is a place where like, people, space the, prison yeah, the worst prison for the worst people in all of the galaxies gets sent to this place it's like oz on crack right? yeah. it's just like unbelievable but in the prison sequence, we get a lot of the goofy humor again, right? The the creature that has its testicles where his knees where his should knees be, are, yeah. and uh, the the supermodel who can change shape that Kirk fucks. <laughs> they finally got Kirk to fuck an alien in those six movies. And, like, check that off the list because that would have been something that they'd missed. And <laughs> check off
3: Kirk's bucket list. Right, he gets to fuck himself. Yeah, exactly. He gets to like anger, like he first fuck himself and then turn into. Literally himself and have a big fight. Those are Kirk's favorite things himself fighting and sex (laughs) And he gets to fight sex and be himself
1: But I enjoy that (laughs) sequence of the movie But part of me feels like this should be the scary part of the movie where our heroes are in peril and we're scared for them Mm -hmm.
4: Well, and I'm not (laughs) much like any episode of Star Trek The the tension wasn't ever didn't ever hang on whether they were going to die or get out of it It was about how they got out of it, Mm -hmm. right? And what we learned as a result, and that's kind of—I think that's why Star Trek Two is most people's favorite because it breaks that rule yeah. to its benefit. There was a and certain amount
3: of—I remember going into Star Trek Six thinking,
4: "Damn, you know, Nicholas people. Meyer killed people well, last and, time he did Star Trek." And there was that shot in the trailer where they showed Kirk getting vaporized, and yeah. everybody—there was so much. It even would, as a ten-year-old, like I was—I was eleven at the time—and even then, I, you know, reading Starlog magazine, there was all this. Yeah. All this speculation about, well, since the fourth movie, they've been talking about how there's going to be no peace with the Klingons until Kirk's dead.
3: And it would make sense for the whole thing to wrap up with Kirk heroically sacrificing himself. But yeah. for yeah. those of you who haven't watched it for some reason, it's, <laughs> it's actually the space Emon supermodel. She <laughs> can her, take the shape as anybody. Yeah, the yeah. shapeshifter, right? She's uh, a Kamaloid. Yeah. So uh, I really do like the trial sequence. For I sure. really Klingon like the Klingon trial sequence. Warps on board. <laughs> the the set design, it's one of the best pieces of set design I think in the history of Star Trek. It feels like something worthy of a movie yeah. in a way that all of these 10 and 20 and 30 million dollar budgets just can't afford. Somehow they managed to make the Klingon prison really It really rang really true. Good.
4: That's why I think a lot of that that sequence, that like snippet of what we see of of the Klingon world Mm -hmm. is present a lot in design uh, stuff in Next Gen after that. It's funny that they really like carry that on and it's stuck with it for the rest of Star Trek.
3: Right. It's funny to me that in the same movie where that irritating bit where they're trying to translate with the Klingon dictionaries we see sort of how it should be done in Star Trek during the trial they're all doing their sort of UN style everyone's speaking their native language and the computer's translating it all for everybody.
1: Until they find Babelfish that's what they got. And that,
4: Right. That disparity, that like inclusion of stuff that just makes you shake your head in, in an otherwise really solid, tight film, yeah. I think is the, the, my biggest disappointment or my biggest like, strike against it is that from, from the people involved in arguably the best Star Trek film, you get this new film and it's going to be the last one. And then you go see it, and it, it, com- certainly compared to that one, but compared to the arc of all six in general... It just kind of feels, not flimsy, but just kind of light. If mm. It's like Star Trek light. It almost feels lighter than 4, and 4 was supposed to be the light entry in the series.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, it, it sort of kicks in and out it's of It's just not
4: ballsy. There's okay. stuff. There's ballsy stuff that happens in 2, 3, mm. not really in 4, although there's stuff so in 4 that feels here, meaty. Here's my question. The the movie's
3: about the wall in space coming down, the Berlin Wall, right? right. The, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Well, that's Oregon's the setup, case, yeah. right? That's the setup. But what does the movie end up saying within the context of that allegory? like What's well, the message of the movie regarding peace the Peace does War? not come easy. Both sides are going to have to meet in the Everyone's going to have to get together and eat blue food and quote Shakespeare together with the, with the Soviets to make <laughs> things work. There's something important in this movie that we need to touch on, though, and it's something that would uh, maybe have made the movie feel a little bit less light and that would yeah, have been if I know the Solaris say. character had actually been Lieutenant or By now, I would have thought she'd be Captain Savick. Right. Yeah. But
1: uh, Canadian actress, What's Kim, her Kim Cattrall, Cattrall,
3: steps into the role, which clearly was
1: supposed
4: to be Savick.
3: I'm sure Nick Meyer wanted Savick right when he wrote the script. It was. It had, yeah, it was Savick. Or the
4: original idea, because Nimoy co-wrote this. Yeah. Uh, they brought Nicholas Meyer in after they'd already, like, Uh, broke the story and everything.
1: But it would have been so much stronger if this character, we had two history, two other movies of history with her, even with two different actresses. I think that we we would understand that this is Savick and we would would have gone with the recasting again. Yeah. Because uh, it takes the twist when she's part of the conspiracy, spoilers, Uh, the weight of that is completely gone.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is one instance where I actually disagree with Nimoy's reasoning because he was the one who said... Savik would never betray Spock. I don't buy that and the audience won't buy it either. Mm-hmm. And I would done well. I would have the audience it. would have been really hurt by it and it would have tied the but movie it would have got it. It would have tied
3: the movie to 2 and 3 in a way that it wasn't tied to those movies if that character had been Savick and it would have made what at the time we all thought would be Spock's final appearance as a character even though he ends up showing up for another decade and, and a half. Yeah. My
1: argument to Nimoy would be, well, Spock would never see it coming. And neither would the audience, and that's great. Exactly
3: what we want for this, yeah. right? I think it would have improved the movie by a long shot to have that be Savick. It would have been interesting to because, have Kirstie again, Alley come back to do it. Yeah. Going back right? to, she wouldn't have fit on the bridge. Exactly. Going back to uh, the first <laughs> 1991. movie, though, when
1: I, the first movie, I was complaining that they brought in new characters to, you know, heavily focus on them and then kill them off. Well, this is kind of a smaller version of that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Again,
3: it's not it's, as bad as Ilya and Decker No, but it,
1: it knocks on the door for me as far as like it, it, what could have been there. Right? It's just not
4: ballsy at all. Exactly. And I mean, if you've ever read about the law of economy of characters, once you've heard that law, so many story developments like this don't function as a surprise in any way. No. Right. But if it had been Savick, you could you could still like have read about that law. And still be like, no, they wouldn't do that. They yeah, wouldn't she do would that. never betray Nimoy Spock. Himself said, like it no, would have worked. It would have served Spock. the story. The same reaction that he had, just like ego-wise, because right. he doesn't. But, the characters are real in his mind, and he doesn't want bad things to happen to them. That's yeah, fair. It's
3: Spock's affection, but, or it's Nimoy's affection for the characters getting in the way because a cold, calculating Vulcan like Savic, she's not entirely cold, right? I mean, she has some emotional connection with Spock that we see in those earlier movies, even though she's not supposed to. But who... uh, I think it's a very interesting idea to have a Vulcan just sort of reason out that, you know what? An act of terrorism is required here. And my feelings have nothing to do with it. This is what needs to be done. And then doing it, even though it means betraying somebody she feels or doesn't feel, but is bound to and uh, should be loyal to, between the a child person.
4: together. You find out in the original well, script of three. Yeah. Um, or four. Yeah, and also... Because
3: this is how you get pregnant, <laughs> is finger-touching. Right. One, uh, <laughs> I avoid finger-touching. Avoid finger-touching. I you my might end out. up having... I just put a condom baby. on before <laughs> right. I touch fingers. Oh, uh, very um, good. good so,
4: idea. So, yeah, and and the fact that she's older, too. She's been around... Like she was his protege in two. Hmm. So, She'd been a, whereas Kim Contreras uh, Valeris is this young, fresh out of the academy character, right? Which is what Savick was yeah. in two. So, I found it like again when you compare the potential of if if it had been Savick, I would have e- easy. It would have been easier for me to buy. She has these prejudices like Kirk does. It would have been an echo of that, right? Yeah. That are that are informing her actions. Yeah, and and we have to consciously. Fight against those things because you know the fear of change. I mean, Kirk says it right at the end people can be frightened of change, but that's I buy point. that more from an older person who has more built up prejudices than I do from somebody who's fresh out of the academy. And... and that theme of
1: prejudice is actually a really strong and good theme in this movie, because I feel like I've been really negative about this movie, which I actually quite like. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that opening scene when, when Kirk gets the surprise from Spock that he's going to be hosting this yeah. ambassador and this dinner for diplomacy. Yeah. And uh, the, he says to him, these people are dying. And Kirk re- responds unironically... Let, Let them, them die. die. Yeah, he sounds right. almost like Khan when he
3: says he is it. It's like he's talking right? directly to Ricardo. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: These people killed my son, and I can't fucking believe that you're going to make me eat supper with them, you son of a bitch. That's a really strong like, uh, way to start this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, It's like, about
4: his like I was, I I think I threw the term toothless out earlier in terms of like some story elements. Yeah, that's the teeth that the movie does have. Is yeah. that when you meet the protagonist at the that's his first scene. Yeah. yeah, that's all part of one scene. And at the end of the first scene, uh, the protagonist says something horribly racist. Yeah, yes, it's informed by tragedy that happened to him, but still he's condemning an entire race because one of them killed his son. Right. Yeah. And interesting. That, and that's like. And we just go with it. Yeah. We just accept it because we've watched five movies of him and we love him. And he's Kirk. He's but, Captain uh, but Kirk. But it's terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. And then the next time we see him, he's committed to fighting against it, even though it's troublesome for him. I guess yeah. that's why it doesn't stick in our side too much or He overcomes his prejudice.
3: I would right. be interested in seeing a version of the Star Trek series that went Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Undiscovered Country with Savick and Those Teeth from the beginning, remaining throughout the film.
4: And then end with them sitting around a campfire. Sure, (laughs) sitting
3: around a campfire, but not singing row, 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 row your boat. They could be roasting marshmallows (laughs) and (laughs) eating beans. That's fine.
1: Um, And going, uh, this is in the way back, but you were talking about how, yes, we understand this is a jolly Star Trek adventure, and they're going to get out of these situations. They even have a plot point where Kirk knows that he's been bugged by Spock, so right. he has this little in that he knows Spock's looking for him, that he doesn't let McCoy know because he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. Like, yes, we know that the crew's going to make it through this movie okay. They shouldn't know. Right. That they're going to make it through the movie okay. And I think that, especially in the prison sequence when they're escaping there, it seems like jolly fun for Kirk. <laughs> but you see, thing. Larry, don't
3: you remember we learned in Star Trek V that <laughs> epic piece de resistance that Kirk has always known, he'll, he'll die alone. This. So as long as he had this McCoy with him, he, uh, you know, that's maybe why he didn't tell McCoy, is he didn't want to piss McCoy off and then have him storm away. He just wanted him to keep him. I honestly bro. think that Nicholas Meyer
4: came back to, to do this one because it, it, he wasn't like, yeah, I got I have to make this movie. Like, he wasn't hungry like he was when he made Wrath of Khan. Right. He'd made one movie prior to that, The experience it was received really well but the experience of making it had been really tough hard uh so he's this young guy i don't think a big star trek fan i've never heard him say that he was uh and it it was his opportunity to just make a a really kick-ass movie focused on those characters and the story had teeth he was like i get to kill spock yeah like the one thing that you knew would never happen while watching the show is happening the one thing that was not anywhere on the radar in the first movie, because that movie was meant as a rebirth for them, yeah. you know, reintroduce them, so they're not going to kill them. We've got to sell toys. And he gets to do it. Right. Nothing in this movie, in fact, it seems like the energy was much more so like, we want them to ride off into the sunset the way everyone wants to remember them. So and we can't have some that. big event happen, because we don't have another movie and a half after that to then return to the status quo like they did with 3 and most of 4. Mm-hmm.
1: But it retires the original crew with some dignity, which I don't think I can say of part 5. Right. and uh, like Well, certainly if, not
4: the entire crew. Right. You know, uh, Sulu gets to have purpose and say, say and do cool shit in this one. In 5, he's Scotty's literally most there memorable. to be made fun of and to fuck things up, and then to cave to the madman. Yeah. Scotty's
3: most memorable moment is that he fucking knocks himself out. Unconscious. Like, they take Scotty, what should be Montgomery Scott's <laughs> final awesome moment, and they give it to McCoy. Yeah. And McCoy and Spock do surgery together on the torpedoes, when Scotty should have been there setting up the the torpedo right alongside Spock. Or he should have been doing it alone. Yeah. right? Like,
4: the, But Scotty had done a lot in the movie up till that point, I think.
3: He just sort of worked with Uhura on the... Who done it? Of, of where yeah. yeah, the bloody yeah, at bloody slipper. At
4: least Scotty knows how to pronounce sensor. All he Why d- does yeah. McCoy go sensor? Sensor. <laughs> I've never he got. He spent that. too much time
3: with Spock because Spock says that sort of thing. We got a heartbeat. I do um, love that part. they really Scotty does very little engineering in that movie. He hollers at somebody by using the wrong tool, and mm-hmm. he walks into an i beam and knocks himself unconscious.
1: Yeah. Generally speaking, though i am i'm happy with this as Mm -hmm. a way up for the original cast yes thumbs up we are in 25 minutes is there anything else that we want to say about six
3: we often fall into that trap of speaking negatively about movies we know because (laughs) we're trying we're trying to pick them apart and figure out which you know it's the ranking process forces you to be cruel i guess especially when you've got six movies four of which are pretty near and dear to your heart and the other two have great nostalgia value yeah right but uh, I think like someone listening to this
1: could think well we're kind of hard on part six thing is is that I like it and I like it quite a bit like it, it
3: it's fun and if you think we're being overly hard on it stay tuned and hear our rankings mm-hmm. and then you'll hear how we
4: really feel about it <laughs> I it think up. the biggest compliment that most people would pay to five is that because of it we got six yeah exactly <laughs> because five utterly shat the bed
3: instead oh, of shat-, it, shat, the bed. Shat, shat the bed it shat the bed <laughs> it <shattened> the bed
1: good enough <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys a seriously important <laughs> question.
3: I think I know what this is gonna be.
1: Mary, fuck, kill in the Star Trek universe. Mm. Um, I guess I'll maybe let you guys first. I came up with answers, but I feel like they were answers out of ignorance. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I
3: don't know. I kind of want to hear your answers for your Mary Fuck Kill. You usually don't go first, right? Or do you ever give Well, answers? I mean,
1: I don't go first for the ranks. I can go first for this yep. if you want. You yep. guys want me to go first? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, kill is a gimme. Mm-hmm. Okay? I would kill Troy okay. from the next generation mm. because she is terrible. <laughs> like, Is that also going to be your fuck, though, too? The character... <laughs> The execution of the character, like, there's nothing good about Troy. Yeah. like, I want her burned from the record. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: and this is add also to that her mother, and that when there's a Troy episode, there's a good chance yeah. that Loaxana Troy, her mother, coming along, She's Hill. also irritating. <laughs> it's not my kill, you can have it.
1: Um Mary goes back again to the next generation and to a sort of a traumatizing event uh, that happened when I watched it as a kid. Uh oh! They killed off Tasha Yar. <laughs> yeah. Your wife. And I was so like I thought Tasha Yar was really hot. Yeah. Watching it now, she's very '90s. She's almost got this lesbian chic vibe going to. Movie she's movie always record. dropping Tasha these really Yar weirdly timed totally.
4: compliments to the other the men on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah! If you weren't the captain. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, I remember they killed her off like very abruptly too. Yeah. It Wasn't even a particularly heroic. Like she no, she was drowned
3: medias. in a tar inside a tar creature. Yeah. It, it was just like sent tar in, and, like, shit. some anyway, some energy at her.
1: And she dies. I always mm. felt bad, and uh, people are hard on her for the pet cemetery movie she did, but I thought she was fine in that. And, I guess I would I would marry Tashi.
3: It was an unceremonious death. <laughs> yeah. I always felt it, bad that she got killed. You would marry her before dead. or after she was dead. <laughs> well, then, well, <laughs> she's playful. less willful. I'll alive. say Denise Crosby in but 1987 just 88. The actual mm. service itself is awkward
1: if she's dead. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, Fucking here's the controversial one. I can't remember the name of the character, but in Star Trek 6, the alien that could take the shape of anybody.
4: Yes.
3: <laughs> we never know her name, but that's the... We're Marcia. Name. Marcia. She Marcia. says, my name. Oh, is Marcia. Oh, my name's Marcia. That's Iman. That's David Bowie's wife. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, not no, anymore. No, not anymore. But, but uh you
1: know. anyway, Anyway, uh, it was funny because <laughs> the potential in that seems... <laughs> like You got a lot of options, right? Yeah. Like, like you said, you could fuck yourself if you chose to. Yeah. You could fuck whatever comes to your mind, really. So, yeah, definitely, but... Yeah. She seems like she would have a handful to marry, but, you know, yeah. if we had a strictly... She could also
3: turn language. into James Kirk for you, though, and that could be odd.
1: I think that's your dream. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that James note. T. Kirk's dream.
3: But uh, I came
1: really close to saying I would fuck Bones, because I think that of everybody in Star Trek, he's the guy who needs to get lazy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> During our Star Trek six review, I was going to say I would have liked Bones to get a happy ending. He's lonely through the whole series, the only woman he ever really gets a love story with. Is killed by a salt vampire, <laughs> <is assault> vampire, <laughs> vampire, or is a salt vampire, or both. Yeah. The poor guy, just all he wants is a lady friend and a nice mint julep and some shade under hey, a tree. Hello there, Jim boy. And instead he has to hang out with Kirk and Spock oh, all the time. Play no second wonder he's to
1: the bromance between Kirk and Spock. <laughs> we'll have to wait for them to fall out <laughs> so he can pick up
3: the pieces. That's right. <laughs> he just gets to play dead mother to so the So a close point. second <laughs> for Bones. <laughs> that was my list. All right, well, my kill is also an obvious one, and that's Captain Janeway. I want her dead. <laughs> I want her dead. The uh, Kate Mulgrew, the actress, I find her voice very... Was she Dr. Quinn, Harsh. Medicine Woman, or was that someone else? No, that was no, someone, that no was no someone else. else. No, Kate Mulgrew though was in. She played. Where do I know her from not Star Trek? Uh, well, I was about to say she's his. CUNT! Yeah. Wife in uh, slut. Uh, slut. throw mom oh, from the train. Slut, slut. slut. Oh, that's, that's exactly slut. She's where. Slut. She's from. Yeah, that's where Kate Mulgrew is from. I'm sorry for dropping a C bomb when I didn't even need to. Uh, you never
1: need to drop a C bomb, but sometimes it's I think when Voyager
3: yeah. came along, it was just about time for Starfleet to finally have a female captain, and I just. Think they picked the absolute worst possible was person. Was it the script? No, so. their first actress was a. The, their first choice was, was a French Canadian actress who was terrible. Geneviève Boujol. Fuck. Uh, everyone in the history of the universe in a hollow suite. I don't know what you guys are <laughs> thinking about. I would be. I would maybe invest in a hollow suite business. Maybe buy a bar. That's maybe true. casual s-
1: sex would just vanish Good if hollow existed. Exactly. I mean,
3: you could still catch so- something if you say shared a hollow suite, used one that Riker had used earlier in the day, and you didn't get it hosed out properly. But what's
1: the worst kind of bug that you get in a hollow suite? Like an ad would pop up halfway through. <laughs>
4: yeah, <exactly. laughs> you get popped every time you go to take a piss and you take your dick in nope. I had no memory of this but there's actually a sequence in uh, a Next Gen episode where Riker gets like come on to really hard by uh, who's the actress who played Jean Grey in the X-Men films well, yeah she's she's in this episode where she plays like the perfect mate she's like getting gonna be paired to a uh, guy for life anyway so she makes out with Riker comes on to him hard and he turns her down and then when he leaves her quarters he actually like you know, flips his communicator or something and says, "Like, if anyone needs me, I'll be in the holiday." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, my
3: my Mary is dependent on something, and I have a question for you. Do you guys think that if you marry into the Q continuum, you inherit their powers? Like, if I married Q, do you think I'd become a Q and I could just be God? I don't if know, but so, I wish there was an episode that I would that. marry Q. <laughs> if not, Yeoman Janice Rand. Like 1966, 67. She's, if I was she's just the a... one in the little red,
4: tiny little oh, skirt with the. She, beehive, that was in love with Kirk, who would she bring. The she would saunter
3: her little no. bum onto the bridge, and Kirk okay. she was his okay. yeoman.
4: She'd bring him coffee, and he's really aggressive
1: with
3: her in the evil Kirk episode. Right, yes. he tries to rape her, right, right, he tries right, to rape right, right, her, he okay, okay. hurts her wrist. She didn't know her she her name, but she actually wanted about. it the whole time. The other option also would be V'ger. because they seem to really enjoy themselves. With Viger, and you could just sort of. That's my other angle at omnipotence. If Q can't do it for me, maybe marrying Viger would make me a god. I guess I have a god complex. Uh, well,
1: uh, and apparently, because you have so many
3: selections, you just want to fuck
1: all of Star Trek This was Mary! <laughs> this yeah, was that's, that's Mary for you me! Marry, yeah. But fuck right was, down.
3: yes, everybody possible in a hollow suite. Uh, I, I noted that I'm basically Riker. Because, uh, yeah. There you go. That's my answer. Jaren
4: All right. Well, I would marry, uh, hmm, yeah, this is tough. I'm sorry to hit you with this, man, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would marry Q. You're gonna steal my No, no, Q no, I'd marry, that was my, I I'd, marry I'd marry Bash. I'd marry Bash because then my life would never be dull. Uh I'd fuck Kes, because she's just <laughs> hot as
3: nails. You should Google her now, her life Yeah, but I'd fuck Kess from the show. Sad.
4: And, uh, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> and uh, and I'd kill Luoxana Troy. So mm-hmm. we're on the
1: same page. with right?
4: I
3: don't know who those other two people are. Luoxana is <laughs> Troy's mom. Oh, the mom. Yes, yeah. yeah, Tr- Tr- Gene and that's the Burrett. only
4: reason she had a recurring role on TNG.
3: She was the voice of every computer in Star Trek up until her death. Every Federation yeah. computer was Troy's and mom. And at least once in a season. I think season that's how of- Troy got hired for the Enterprise. Is that her mom was like the Siri of the Federation <laughs> and pulled some strings
4: and got her idiot daughter hired. At least oh, once a a, once a season, there's a Luoxana episode where she shows up in the Enterprise and, and nothing hilarity ensues. Yeah, but twice a season,
3: I think. Usually there was like one. Yeah, there's a couple, couple seasons where it's two. There are some bad, the but worst Troy's episodes. There
1: every goddamn
4: week. The worst is when you
3: when you have the perfect storm of there's a Loxana Troy episode where they're also trapped in the holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. The A
4: story deals with uh, Troy solving a mystery in the holodeck, and the B story is Loxana looking for a man. Yeah. <laughs> that's something you know to tune in next week.
1: Yeah, because she was always trying to climb Picard like a tree. <laughs> yeah, it uh, hard. the okay. episode where
4: he finds out she's getting married and and he, uh, whatever. I'll, I'll uh, stop I'm i sorry, but
1: for the ignorant among us,
4: the first two people that he said who,
1: for who you would uh, who did I say again? Vash. Vash,
3: Mary Vash. Vash was Picard's one true love in the TV show, which I think is funny because her name means cow in French. Yeah, but she was played by uh, I don't remember. She, was, she
4: was kind of an, a recognizable actress at the time, but I have no idea. She who was she
3: this is now. like. Like, go-getter uh, space archaeology type, right? She no,
4: w- she was just a grave robber, basically. She was Well, she turned out to be, things. but she
3: sort of convinced him that she was an archaeologist for well, wasn't a while. was there wasn't
1: supposed to be a will-they-won't-they they with Crusher, Dr. Crusher? Yeah, there was, yes, there was an they would ongoing will-they-won't-they.
3: There was. But, yeah, Vash sort of, like, Picard almost had a thing with her. He she, loved her, but she got away. She brought out thing. the Kirk in, in
4: Picard. Uh, it great. was like, at one point, he had a meeting with the writers and was like, Okay, Picard the captain needs to, needs need needs to, to fight way. more and he needs to fuck some. <laughs>
3: the other one he mentioned was Kess, and that was the underage girlfriend of the cook on Voyager. Oh wow. She was three years old. She was three. Yeah. Her race lived to her be her th- race lives to be seven. Her seven. Oh. So she was no, a fully grown. She, fully was, space an o, she space. was an she was an old No, she had yeah, three cute years. Three Earth years old, but oh. like from her planet she, like her life. She's fully grown. She's an adult. Years, so yeah, she was She was a grown up. She was all grown up, but she was technically three.
4: She was basically like 35 by our standards.
3: She was on the show for the first couple of years. And yes, Jennifer Lien, who played her, was super cute.
4: She was really cute and young, but had this like smoky phone sex operator. Yeah, that was Lake. the drugs. The drug That's addiction. It's funny. I she just thought it was there.
1: hilarious that, uh, as it turns out, I didn't know any of the people that you were talking oh. about when you said Mary Feck kill okay. I thought we'd agreed on Troy, but even Troy's mom, who's also a good pick, but like I said, I Troy was just you a good pick. I guess you show.
3: didn't know who Janice Rand was, but you knew all the rest of my. <laughs> of these Star Trek movies and why okay, well, as <coughs> we hinted at earlier the bottom of the list is one of the tougher places for me and we talked about uh, the fact that there are two cuts of the motion picture etc cetera, etc cetera. and while the theatrical cut versus director's cut question does complicate issues a little bit I think either way the motion picture overall is a stronger film than The Final Frontier and I have to put Star Trek 5 in last place at number 6 The movie I can't judge the movie based on the movie it wanted to be or could have been or almost halfway was or once upon a time the movie was a little bulge in Harf Bennett's pants I can't base the movie on that I have to base it on the fact that what was projected on the screen was a fucking collage of disaster everything went wrong with that movie and yeah I can find little moments of it fun and I can find chunks of it quite nostalgic and I can enjoy it on that level. But Star Trek 5 is a bad movie. I will even join you in saying don't watch it unless you're a big Star Trek fan and you really have to see all of Star Trek. If you if you're only gonna watch five of these movies, that's <laughs> the one to
1: skip. It's sort of one of those things where you either watched all of them or none of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of like So
3: I tip my hand that, that second last place in number five is going to be the motion picture for me, Star Trek One. Again, I can't judge it based on the movie that might have been but Roddenberry's involvement or meddling depending on how you want to put it was still a very present force in Star Trek at this time at least in the movie end of Star Trek it continued to be a present force on television CBS continued to listen to him a little bit longer (laughs) than Paramount did but uh the movie has some fantastic ideas some great sequences i really like the idea of an earth probe coming back from space being you know sentient and godlike even it's a story we touched on in star trek before there's good stuff for story in there but it's just again falls apart in too many places and it's sleep inducing there are long sections of boredom in that movie they were going for something that looked and felt something like Star Trek in 2001, and so it does share that in common with 2001. Success, guys! You, <laughs> made, us, you made us sleepy. Uh, in fourth place, I'm going to put Star Trek four. And I love the, voy- the uh, Voyage Home. It's a nice, fun little jaunt, but uh, as this is an, the other place on the list where I had to hum and haw a little bit, because I almost put number six in this spot. Mm-hmm. This is my spot in the list where depending on the day, I might have put six That's in the really. spot, right? Uh, number six is... It's got stupider moments in it than number four has, even though four is the lighthearted movie. But they do spend the whole movie on Earth. It's fun, but it does feel like a big, long episode of the show, and Star Trek Six feels like a movie, yeah. right? And because it's the apology, because it's the happy surprise we got at the end. Nobody expected them to show up and fix Star Trek. We, after Star Trek V I thought it was going to be fucked up forever. So <laughs> I was happy to have them show up and make six. So number six is in third place. I've said what I had to say there. The strong points of the movie outweigh the few goofy moments like Shakespeare being from Kronos and that sort of stuff. Uh, number three and number two then top off the list. Right. So number three, The Search for Spock. Number two, I almost consider them two halves of the same movie. I got them
1: confused into one movie while we were doing yeah. them. <laughs> Interestingly, fans
3: and critics on the internet tend to disagree with me. A lot of them put either four or two, or four or six in second place, ahead right. of three. So, I don't know, I'm interested to see where you guys put three, but that's my list. I'm gonna just read them off from my worst to my best. Starting at the bottom, Star Trek Five, The Final Frontier then Star Trek won the motion picture, Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, Star Trek III: The Search for Spock. And in first place, I would say the best single piece of Star Trek ever produced in any format is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan.
4: Mine will see. Mine is different from yours. Um, and it's it's mostly because 6 and 5 on our lists, the the things that you seem to prioritize or like about one that put it higher. Aren't as important to me as the things I like about five. Mm-hmm. So that's basically just character—the stuff that's completely absent from motion picture that I feel like is the reason it doesn't feel like Star Trek. What's what's strong about Star Trek, or, or what we certainly what we knew about Star Trek up till that point, um, it's just absent from that film. And that's the the sense of energy, the, the levity, the chemistry between the characters. The sense of fun that's all gone. It's just this like sedated, washed out, almost like you're hungover type. Experience. But I put uh, I put in sixth place, motion picture, fifth place, and this is a very narrow division. But <laughs> fifth place uh, is uh, Final Frontier, and it's really only because there's a handful of moments where I have a grin on my face watching it, or or feel genuine uh, emotional response that I think. Was the uh, the uh, reaction that was intended by the filmmakers? Mm-hmm. Like at the end, when when God's when the creature says, "Do you doubt me?" to McCoy, and he t- turns and, in spite of what's just happened to his friends, responds, I doubt any honestly, God who would. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that that gives Split me a strong game. reaction. Right. in the motion picture at all yeah. and what does he say he said I would he says no, like, I don't any inflict pain for pain his own pleasure, pleasure yeah. and he says it with a, with a sense of like this could be the last thing I say yeah. right now okay in his it. eyes Yeah. so um, so yeah so it's they're very close but I just I find five a little bit more watchable that's all in fourth place I put uh, Undiscovered Country and I think again it's 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 not because it's a poorer movie really than Four. It's because Four has the benefit of what's of being part of the arc of 234. Yes. So it feels like it's just part of something meatier. But at any rate, so six, it's a pretty decent movie. I just feel like it doesn't really feel a a whole lot like Star Trek. And like I said earlier. It could be a non-Star Trek film and still function as a film, and that I don't feel like that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. So that's the big strike against it for me. So then third on the list is Voyage Home, Uh, and that's mostly just, like I said, because the things that are set up in 2 and 3 get followed through on in 4, and then we also get a nice lighthearted romp, as you call it, which after 2 and 3, I really felt was due like I think they made I love that they said all right we dealt with death in these movies we've dealt with destruction uh we've dealt with rebirth it's pretty heavy stuff that we had happen let's do something that's just happy that puts smiles on people's faces and and to make a giant left turn like that I I dig that it doesn't need to be like the other movies so then number three is the same search for Spock
1: so, so number three would be The Voyage Home. Yes, number three and, number, four. and number two, number two is, is Search for Spock. And number one is two. That makes second, no sense. Second
4: place is Search for Spock. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I like that movie. It's a great movie. And, and the more I find a like about it. Um, and the only reason it's not number one is because I agree with you 100%. Wrath of Khan is just... The, you know, if, if, if a non-fan said, show me why you like Star Trek... I wouldn't have to look for. I'd just be like, okay. okay, well, we'll watch this two-hour movie. And if you don't like it after seeing this, you probably won't like any other Star Trek because this is the best stuff. I was surprised by the fact that choosing between two and three, I actually kind of wavered. I was mm, like, really? Um, after we watched them this time. The only reason I I was like, no, Khan has to be first place is because... Um, for what I said about if if I had to pick one film to show non-fans, it would be that. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like the stuff that happens in *Search for Spock* uh, has a greater effect on me. I don't know. That might be more a function of where I'm at in my life now, or just having seen *Wrath of Khan* m- more times. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's diluted. Like the speech he gives at Spock's funeral feels kind of almost you've like you've watched it too many now. Times. Yeah. Um, Whereas the, the, you know, the really heavy events that happen in Search for Spock don't have that effect.
1: So it's my turn. Um, I thought that I was going to be in a little bit of trouble for putting Part 5 at the bottom of the list. Mm. But I'm glad I did, because we now have a new Rank and Review champion as a result of it. Oh! <laughs> um, I do think it's the worst of the movies, and here's why. I understand what they were trying to do with Star Trek The Motion Picture. I don't think they did it that successfully, but I understood the choices. Right. I do not understand the choices. f yeah, five. In part five. Right. Almost wall to wall, I do not understand the choices. Almost every choice. <laughs> like, this is the
3: sound of a victory cigarette, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, yes. So I guess
1: I just said what my list is, but I'm going to go through it anyway, because that is my right. <sighs> Please, to I would, to I would like community. to
3: savor this victory as well, <laughs> yes. yes.
1: But yeah, no, it's it's not it's not good. And considering that everybody involved had been involved with Star Trek for a long time, it should have been way better than this. Yes, it really, really should have been. Especially
3: but with everyone putting supposed to be putting their backs into it to say goodbye to Star Trek yeah. the right way. I, the studio should have been putting up dollars.
1: I'm with you, Jaron. It was close for me in ways Mm -hmm. because I had to rate the rage and, like, anger of five Mm -hmm. to, like, the sleepiness that I felt (laughs) in part one. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I legitimately almost (laughs) fell asleep. Like, I was... My head was bobbing, and that is never a good thing. Mm -hmm. But, like I said, uh... I like Wise as a director. I don't necessarily think this was the movie he was born to make, but I have respect for the man. And I have respect for what he was trying to do, whether or not he accomplished it or not.
4: No, he failed in his
1: it, it could have been an interesting... The movie's science at least well
3: photographed, yeah. which can't be said of Star Trek V.
1: It could have been an interesting science fiction movie, maybe if it wasn't Star Trek. <laughs> if yeah. it was like just a science fiction movie apart from Star or Trek. Or if just
3: Kirk and Spock weren't in it, and you let Decker and Ilea be the leads. Yeah. Make it a new crew. But right? no, it doesn't
1: work for me at all. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, this is, I guess, based on the extended version, and apparently if you don't watch the extended version, it's less... Sleep inducing. Mildly less, though. But I'm working this off of what we, we watched together, so right. yep. that's where that's it's going to do it. Uh I do put Star Trek 4 in fourth place. That actually lined up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> um, and here's the thing I get that they're going for a lighter, goofier thing, and I get that that's what included in the show a lot. But in the movies, I associate it with stakes. And considering the stakes of this, it's a much lighter, jauntier sort of friendly affair. you both used the word jaunt
3: I think to describe, describe number four yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it jaunt. is it's the perfect yeah, right? word to describe it something it, sort of it reminds about me about of, it, right? yeah. of uh, Shore Leave that episode is <laughs> yeah. like one of the jauntiest episodes with Finnegan I
4: hear the theme from that, so yeah. that episode <laughs> in my head you know, when I watch the Finnegan Star theme Trek 4. Yeah.
3: but
1: as a person who's not super <laughs> crazy about <laughs> Star Trek like to the degree that you guys are what I think about when I think about Star Trek is like Klingons with eye bolts covering their face mm-hmm. and spaceship fights and you know Kirk cur- given commands in, in, you know, in the controller, and really 4 doesn't have any of that, right? Right. And I give them points for trying something different, and considering it is Humpback to the future, they go back to the 80s to rescue Humpback whales, like, it shouldn't work at all, right? Like, this should be the bottom of the list. <laughs> <laughs> like, just saying it out loud. <laughs> it's the most
3: profitable
1: piece of Star
3: Trek to date.
1: So go figure. But yeah, that's where it ends up.
3: And it got Nimoy three men and a little baby
1: other yeah, than. That was a huge movie. We, we yeah. snicker now. That movie was ridiculous. He directed
4: the two highest grossing movies two years in a row in the <laughs> That's right. Star Trek 4 and then 3 Men and a Baby the next year. a boy. Um, so Undiscovered
1: Country. Yeah. It's it's fun and it's closer to what I associate to Star Trek. Like I said. Cry havoc and let's hit the dogs of war. They're on Love the Enterprise. Yeah. They fire torpedoes. Yeah. They, that's the other thing. Part 4, they didn't even have the Enterprise. They were still flying. They were the still flying. I <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this sort of seemed, you know, back to what we loved about or what I associate and loved to Star Trek and yes, it was just the thank you for letting them end on a stronger note <laughs> than part five. But obviously it's not gonna compare to Star Trek two and three. 3 is a degree less good than 2, but only a degree to me. Like, in my head, these two movies are one big movie, and a pretty fucking good one, and uh, I think very accessible to people who aren't even Trek fans.
3: Yeah, and watching, I I would even go so far as to say showing someone Star Trek 2 and not 3, you're just being a dick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They do, you know, uh, Spock dies and it's sad, and they kind of bring him back to life for you in the third movie to give you that sort of good payoff, but... Uh, some might argue that you know if you're gonna kill a character, you kill a character. But I say, fuck it. This is Star Trek. The fans willed Spock back to life. Mm-hmm. Yes, Star Trek Three is in second place, and of course, Wrath of Khan is unbeatable. I I, I think I was emotionally scarred by the scene with the bugs going check Chekhov's here. <laughs> like it it, it it was that somehow might be the work-
3: scene that makes these movies appropriate for rank and review. <laughs> exactly. that's, There's some, a one that's some horror, horror movie, movie
1: shit. But like, he doesn't even just take it out of this little baby worm out of its mother's back. And put it directly in his ear. He puts it in the helmet, and then puts the helmet on him, and, and lets, lets the fucking crawl, thing, crawl. It's thing. Ah! It's ah! and,
4: uh, and describes the whole thing in advance to them, so that they know what's gonna. Like so that they're more terrified. I don't for, know if than if, they if, need be. Yeah. I don't think any
3: other moment in Star Trek will get a more visceral visceral reaction from a viewer than than the little baby <laughs> slugs crawling into Chekov <laughs> oh, and Captain horrifying. what's his oh. name's ear.
1: And I have to say, when we rewatched it again. I I'd completely forgotten about the pet, the dog Klingon, that, that the Christopher Lloyd had. In Search for Spock. Is it Search for? Yeah. yeah. You did it again, Lloyd. no, Christopher in Lloyd's in, in Search for Spock. Christopher Lloyd's in not for uh, the Search for Spock. <laughs> but I, but when we were watching the movies again, that's one of the moments that I really w- had this, oh my god, I had forgotten completely forgotten about the, the Klingon dog. And as soon as I saw it, some, my heart just leapt in my chest. was like, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is such a great detail that they didn't need to and have. And it's funny that it's we've so...
3: never before or since seen Klingon wildlife. Like, we haven't seen any Klingon have a pet targ, targ,
4: though. You see a targ in uh, in Next Gen there's an episode where they're what they think comes to life, and Worf sees a targ on the bridge, oh, pet. and he starts betting. Gotcha. <laughs> Anyway,
1: I had fun revisiting these movies and uh, I didn't think we were going to match. So congratulations to Paxton What finals. does he win? Yeah, what do uh, I win? I will give What you do a I prize. lose? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't come prepared with a prize, but I promise to you that I will give you, you a really prize. You really didn't expect us I to, didn't, I to win. I really thought I'd fuck this over by putting five at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, when we did the review, I kept, or when we were watching it, you guys kept on saying how, let's see what they're going for here, like you guys were working defense for the movie while
3: we were watching. Well, and it. I didn't I like, you have to as a fan. You right? <laughs> <laughs> <I> have <laughs> to. I didn't finalize my List until we were sitting down to record at the beginning of the night. Here is when I wrote this down while we were reviewing Star Trek 5 yes. as well I wrote this, so I'm I a total poser
1: right here.
3: And maybe, maybe I'm the trekkie poser if I'm agreeing with this layman over yeah. here. I don't listen to Trek I can't talk Star
1: Trek on very <laughs> I do want to thank you guys. I hope I didn't, like, make an irreparable rift in this yeah, who, <laughs> and, and they never spoke again. again. Yeah, yeah, and you'll and have we, to listen to this to remind each other of what they sound like. You can't
3: possibly follow through with that if he didn't talk to me about Star Trek. His, his head only God, just bellowing. <laughs> Illogical. Illogical. <laughs> yeah. does not compute. You
4: must speak about Star Trek to a person who understands Nerds.
1: Oh my goodness, it's exciting kids, a new Rank and Review champion. It has happened on this, the 87th episode of Rankin Review. So congratulations, Mr. Paxton Francis. Uh, sorry about that, Matthew. I'm sure that this is a bitter pill indeed, and all the more bitter that it would be Star Trek. But here we are. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the two-part trek into space. And I hope you're going to stay with me for our next episode, which I think might be a little bit controversial. But you're just going to have to wait two weeks to find out what I mean by that. In the meantime, you could send me feedback at rankingreview@gmail.com. At That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Find the show on iTunes, find it on Facebook. And please, tell that other movie lover in your life about the podcast. Word of mouth is the best way I got going to get ears to this podcast. As always, thank you for listening. I am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and you can listen to me, well, whenever you want, but I drop every other Wednesday.